podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode 144. Today, we're going to talk about simple living. <laughs> I'm laughing because, like, isn't that what we talk about every single episode? <laughs> yeah, so that's the, the topic of today. Ah. And so, well, I don't have any follow-up from previous episodes. Now, if you're listening to this right now, hopefully you're either listening to it or you're watching you, the YouTube video. Jordan is here recording both the video and the audio today. So if the audio doesn't sound good, I would say blame Jordan. But actually, let's blame Podcast Sean because he's not here right now. <laughs> and he's the easiest person to blame. So he's hopefully... He's to defend himself. And by the way, if it's sounds Dude. better then we just know that podcast sean is irrelevant that's right wait uh, a minute <laughs> dude i got some follow-up man the tour was awesome yeah we're gonna get to that during right here right oh. now we got a bunch of things that are going on in the lives of the minimalists but we're gonna save all that for right here right now because okay. we have a bunch of questions to dive into so there's a right here right now segment toward the end of the episode we'll talk about the tour we'll talk about my health we'll talk about ryan's hair care and We're not talking about my hair care. Okay, we won't do that. You didn't put that in the notes, really, did you? No, I don't think so. Let's, di- <laughs> let, let's dive into these questions. Instead of voicemails today, we asked our Twitter followers, we're at The Minimalists on Twitter, uh, we asked them to submit questions about simple living. And our first question today is from Amanda. Amanda. Amanda asks, how do you define simple living? Man. I mean, I can define simple. <laughs> I'll define living. <laughs> well, I mean, so, so uh, sometimes when people ask what is minimalism, the thing I say about minimalism is minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things so we can make room for life's most important things. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes that word minimalism is the perfect word because it conjures up these images of like stark white walls and empty warehouses and owning very little. And sometimes that's intriguing for folks because the average American house has 300,000 items in it. So we're, we're steeped in stuff and minimalism feels like the the antidote to that and i i personally believe that minimalism is a tool so it's part of the antidote uh it's a tool for us to to rid our lives of the excess so we can live more simply Mm. so if minimalism isn't the right word for you maybe there are other words for you sometimes people will just say simple living or simplicity or simplifying or deliberate living i mean that's how i look at it man it is it is using your resources intentionally and making sure that your focus and your attention is exactly where uh, it, where you need it in your life to live a meaningful life. Yeah, and, and so if we're talking about intention, the opposite of intention is is just going with the flow mm. and, and living without intention. Yeah, and, and so if you're living without intention, I, I think most of us are. It's like when you think of uh, maybe meditation, for example, the opposite of meditation is just random thoughts you know it's the it's excess thinking mm. and that's what we all do we all just are we're our, our minds are filled with thoughts well yeah especially in the the world we live in right now man i mean how many impulses do we have a day 
that I would love to see a study on that. Like impulses that we have today versus a hundred years ago. Yeah. So a hundred years ago, uh, yeah, you don't have social media, you don't have email, you don't have technology mm-hmm. and that is just vying at, at our attention. It's, it's all of it wants our attention. So yes, um, going with the flow is, is just reacting to every single impulse. Yes, and so simple living means we have a, a finite amount of resources, mm-hmm. whether that is your money, maybe it is your energy, mm-hmm. maybe it is your attention, yeah, maybe it is your time or your talent or your skill set. Mm-hmm. These are all resources, but they're not infinite, right? right? And so we have to be deliberate with the resources we have. But being unintentional means that we just br- we let whatever, we let anything in and, and we just accept it. When I had the big house in the suburbs, it was a relatively nice house, but of course I had to fill every corner of the house. And if there was space, I just let whatever in. I didn't do so with intention. So mm-hmm. intentionality or simple living, if I were to define it, is the removing of the excess so we can make room for what's truly important. I totally agree with you. You want to go on to the next question? I do. Dan asks, let's see, our next question here is from Dan. Dan asks, how would you bring simple eating under the simple living umbrella while keeping healthy eating in mind? Hmm. So, so this is a perfect segue. I was actually going to save this part for the, the right here, right now segment, Ryan, but it's a perfect segment for me to talk about my health. And in ways, I, I, I've been on the carnivore diet all month. So uh, a, a version of what I might call, I don't think anyone's ever called it this, but the modified carnivore diet, which is really strange for me. So let's have a quick discussion about my thoughts and your thoughts on different diets. Now, you and I did an entire podcast episode with our good friend, Rich Roll. Mm-hmm. It's just called Food. Mm-hmm. And we talked about healthy eating. Now, my partner, Rebecca, is also a dietitian and a nutritionist. And so she really understands healthy eating as well. And, and the thing that I, I've learned is that healthy eating, so back to, to Dan's question here, mm-hmm. what was the, the question specifically? What did he ask? Yeah, her his, his question specifically was, how would you bring simple eating simple eating okay under so, the simple living umbrella so so simple eating for me is is more about so we just talk about simple living has to do with intentionality so maybe it's intentional eating or intentionality when it comes to the food that we consume mm. now you know this i used to be a fat bastard <laughs> we both did yeah we, i mean when we first met we were in fifth grade uh, in ohio now i'm just the bastard <laughs> Uh, and um, I was literally the fattest kid in school Ryan Mm. and you were the second fattest kid in school that's uh, that's why we became best friends I think and well and and we had shared habits right and they were (laughs) we and those habits included a lot of cheeseburgers yes a lot well a lot of cheese related products (laughs) there was a lot just a lot of cheese a lot of cheese man a lot of constipation in our our preteen yeah like it was literal cheese in uh, you know in elementary school and now we just have like a lot of figurative cheese. <laughs> We're just cheesy. <laughs> We're just cheesy. Yeah. Well, so so over the last, uh, in my 20s, I lost about 80 pounds. I was about 240 pounds and I'm probably 160 to 165 right now. So I lost about 80 pounds in, in my 20s by simplifying my diet, cutting out the excess. So there were some things that I made sure I cut out uh, that weren't working well for me. Uh, cheese, or dairy was one of them, yeah. right? Soy. I found out I had a soy allergy. It was 
making me break out like crazy. I think most yeah. people can do really whoa. I almost knocked my water over here. Most people can do really well with soy. Mm-hmm. I think you can do perfectly fine with soy. Sure, you can have a tofu steak right now, and and you wouldn't have any problems with You're it. You're making me hungry. <laughs> a tofurkey mm-hmm. Thanksgiving dinner. Um, you remember that tofurkey that your ex-wife made? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she was poisoning me essentially. Oh my god. She didn't god, realize dude. she was. Po- but I have, I have an allergy to it. it. Makes me break out really bad, especially my scalp. And so. Um, uh, soy, I have a, a legitimate allergy to. Dairy, I don't have an allergy to. I just have a sensitivity to that. Mm-hmm. Um, gluten, I cut out of my diet. Um, and then at a, one point, oh, you and I became vegans for a year you on did. a bet. I won. You did win the you bet. still owe me a dollar. Here, here, you know what? So we're filming this right now. <clears throat> it's about time, dude. You know, it's a shame that I have to call you out in front of our millions of listeners just so I could get a $1 bet paid to me. Do you see this? So here's what happened. $1. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the dollar here. <laughs> there you go. Ryan, I'm going to give you this dollar because you lasted an entire year as a vegan. <laughs> and here's the irony. I, I lost because at month 11, it, I really wanted some Greek yogurt. And you're the Greek. Dude, why don't you hold on to the dollar, man? No, it's No, yours. no, no. It's much more fun to talk about how you owe me a dollar. All right. Well, it was a, it's a fake dollar anyway. <laughs> <laughs> don't right. you ever speak about our first president that way. <laughs> Not my president. <laughs> um, does that work? Is it George Washington? Yeah, he's I mean, def- he, he's def- George Washington is definitely not our president, Josh. Yeah. See, <laughs> it works fine. Anyway, when it comes to my diet now, um, I've made some significant changes. A couple years ago, you can go back to our health problems podcast episode one thirty eight. I did the longest podcast I've ever done with uh, two of my doctors, and we talked about the health problems I've had. Now, this entire month, we're, we're actually recording this the last day of July twenty eighteen. This entire month, I've been on what I would call the modified carnivore diet. And so, what's I- that look like? Five, five items right now. So I, you know me. I was already, I already had a pristine diet. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. So I had cut out the gluten, the soy, the mm-hmm. dairy, the sugar. Those are the four things I had cut out before, right? Mm-hmm. Those were gone, and so I had a really good diet. But for whatever reason, it wasn't working perfectly for me, and so I knew I needed to make a few changes. So mm-hmm. beginning of this month, I did a four-day fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, this fast mimicking diet uh, with a guy named Dr. Walsh, the Walsh Protocol, and uh, I did four days. And after that. I've gone back to this, I guess you would call it the modified carnivore diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, eating meat was really difficult for me. My doctor recommended it two years ago because I had been a vegan and then I had been a pescatarian for a decade after that, right? Mm-hmm. So we did our, our vegan bet for a year. The next nine years, I was a pescatarian. Only thing I ate was fish. I also got mercury poisoning from that because yeah. I was eating so much fish and nothing else. Well, it was in combination with your immune system too, right? Yes. Uh, my immune system was compromised. My gut was compromised because I had C. diff. Mm-hmm. And then I also had these metal amalgams in my mouth that were leaching into my body. So I had mercury poison from both the fish and the metal amalgams. Combine that together, it was a recipe for disaster. So this month, after doing a four-day fast, I went back to, I only eat five things right now. And mm-hmm. I've been doing this all month. Mm-hmm. And those five things are meat. So mostly chicken and beef, mm-hmm. organic, uh, without any of the... You know, the Hormones, uh, antibiotics. Yes, yeah. yeah. N- none of the junk, right? Sure. And uh, also, I've introduced some organ meats in because that's really important. And if you go back to sort of the, the if you look at the ancestral health community. That reminds me, I got like three tubes of liverwurst I need to give you. Yeah, yeah, and and, well, because I also do some supplements with with, uh, beef liver as well, and so uh, because it's really important to to eat the entire animal if we're going to to eat the animal and make sure that we're eating the parts that are 
the most healthy for us. You, mm. know, you, you go back to our ancestors, they would throw away the steaks that you and I eat now. And, and, <laughs> and they were like, they go straight for the liver and the heart. And I had beef heart the other day. And, and so like, um, so I eat meat. That's number mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Number two is I eat greens. So okay. like kale and arugula and and iceberg lettuce and rainbow romaine. jar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm with you. So, so I eat greens. Okay. Leafy greens. Leafy greens. Number three is I eat oils. And that's for me, olive oil and coconut oil. Mm -hmm. I, in fact, I, I usually walk around with a few packs of olive oil in my pocket uh, that I just ordered these. Amaz I ordered them from Amazon. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But um, uh, the, just these these little packets of olive oil that yeah. I, I walk around with. Number four is coffee. Yeah. Well, I guess water would be a, a four and a half, right? We all, <laughs> I'm drinking water right now. But the only thing I drink is water and coffee. So, and then number five, a little treat, 100% dark chocolate. I've, I've gone as low as I think 92% or 90%. But, but I, I try to... And it's just like one little square a day. That's like my treat. And it tastes amazing now that I've cut everything else out. Yeah. So let's talk about what I've cut out of the diet um, for me that's made my simple eating even more simple. So you're, yeah, so you're talking about what you've cut out from your diet. This month. The pristine diet that you had before this. Right, okay. right. And so here are a few things that I've cut out. I removed fruit. I remove so so any fruit and, I, and, and here's the weird thing a month into this I no longer crave fruit at all in fact it doesn't even sound good to me which was always surprising to me because I love eating pineapple and blueberries yeah and it just I don't crave it anymore um the other thing is I'm never hungry now like I'm just like I've been hungry three times in the last month so let's talk about that yeah because if you like right now if you didn't eat till four o'clock, mm -hmm. you would be hungry. I would, yes. So what is the difference between like, because there's two different hungers that you're identifying there. I think so, yeah. So there, yeah. So let's talk about when you say you're not hungry. Of course, if you don't, if you didn't eat today, you're going to be hungry tomorrow. Absolutely. So what what is the difference between the two hungers that you're? There isn't that same craving that that where I need something to fuel me right now. Mm. Oh my god, I'm panicking, mm. kind of thing. Hangry is a term that we often use, especially in our culture, where it's like I need something immediately. It's it's almost like this impulse. I don't ah. feel that same impulse anymore. So the so maybe the hunger what you're saying is, is you don't feel the hunger anymore maybe is would hanger be a synonym to what you're talking about yeah i don't feel the, the hangriness i feel almost like a warning light come on now i've been hungry specifically three times this month mm -hmm. uh so we're on day 31 right now mm -hmm. for me and i've been hungry three times twice had to do with getting poor sleep uh and i was tired both of those times mm -hmm. so i think there's a good correlation between lack of sleep and and impulse eating right mm -hmm. the other time was we were recording a podcast we had a few meetings we had to go to and i spent 20 21 or 22 hours without eating so mm -hmm. i had extended this accidental fast beyond the, the the limits of what i would usually go and so my body wasn't like oh my god i need to eat something right now it was like hey dummy you should put some food in your body mm -hmm. now here's the thing i've noticed now gotcha. when, I, when i'm eating these five items i feel energy that i've never felt on our last podcast or episode 142 actually i, I talked about how like i haven't felt this good since i was Six years old, probably. That's amazing, man. And, and, and it's because I was started being I was obese when I was age seven. I doubled weight from age six to age seven. It was right around the time my mom started drinking heavily, and so like there's you know certain correlations mm -hmm. there. But but ever since then, like there's been something. And and right now this month, my energy, another resource we just talked about. Yeah, 
that is a resource that I have not had a whole lot of mm. the last decade. Yeah. But my energy this month, and when we were on tour the last few weeks, everyone was commenting on it like, wow, I can't believe you're still going through this. Or, or we had a super extroverted day when we were down in, in uh, Brentwood on doing the Dave Ramsey show and stuff. Like, I was extroverted all day, but I was still able to cope with it, right? Yeah. I still reach my extroverted limits because I'm an extreme introvert, but I have these additional reserves and I don't have the midday crash that I mm. used to experience either. Awesome. That man. one was so real for me. That midday crash, the eating some rice or some carbs. So that's the next thing I remove from my diet. So I remove fruit, right? That was, that was number one. Number two is starchy carbs, rice and potatoes. Like those things aren't unhealthy, mm -hmm. but it's subjective. And those things aren't necessarily working for me. Um, and, and so what else did I, I remove besides the fruit and the starchy carbs? Here's a big one for me. I removed eggs. Now, I was eating four to eight eggs a day. Always the healthy eggs, you know, the... Just not factory farm kind of eggs, but, mm. but going out of my way to eat healthy eggs. But I have some sort of egg intolerance. I learned that because on the 11th day of this month, mm -hmm. I, I said, oh, I'm going to reintroduce one more thing, eggs, because, you know, it's meat adjacent. Right. And so I brought them in and immediately, within an hour, crash. And I was messed oh, up man. for the next day and a half. Wow. And so eggs are gone right now. And the last thing I removed are nuts and seeds. I, I've never felt great when eating a bunch of nuts and seeds. Um, and now I'm sure I'll bring them back in and maybe as a garnish eventually, but I, you won't see me eat handfuls of nuts and seeds anymore. Mm. Um, and there, there are several reasons that I've talked to my doctor about for, for removing those. But I can tell you that by removing these items, it's like it's an extreme elimination diet. Yeah. But man, I feel good. My energy is better. I I have less need for sleep. Like I don't wake up feeling tired anymore. I'm sleeping probably on average about one fewer hour per night, mm. but I wake up more energized. I don't need the naps during the day as much. I've napped a couple times this month when they're really extroverted days, but I feel totally different. Also my skin is so much better. Uh, I feel good awesome. wearing black shirts now because I, I used to wear mostly gray shirts, like the, a dark gray shirt because I would always get a bunch of dandruff on me. <laughs> I'm not getting that this month. That's I mean, great. maybe a tiny bit, but not nearly what I was getting before. Uh, less itching. Now, as a man, you know, your your you know parts down low. We often they itch. You know, you get sort of get the Al Bundy thing going on. You know, right? I don't. Uh, Have you, you don't, ever had that? Yeah, but I don't think we need to gender appropriate the itch, man. I think well, I, I, men I, and females <laughs> equally get itchy down there. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's a stereotype for a reason. I think it's a stereotype. Think about Al Bundy going to his, reaching out his pants, sort of scratching his balls all the time. Yes. I don't, I thought that was just a normal thing. But this month, I've like been totally fine without that. Like, I haven't felt like the need to like, oh, I better scratch. It's just like, and it's, I think it's because my skin is better and mm. it's, it's not feeling dry. Although yesterday, I tried to incorporate Brussels sprouts back into my diet, you know, just really splurge on some Brussels sprouts. Right, man. And I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, I'm itchy down here. And so like for me, I think I have I have a few things, a few problems with me. One is I'm highly sensitive to carbohydrates and I didn't realize that. Uh, number two is I think my, my blood sugar 
spikes and dips much more radically than other people. So mm. I'm not recommending this diet for anyone else. I'm simply saying what has worked for me. Well, yeah, I, th I think what you're talking about is it's a great example for Dan. Dan is asking how can you incorporate simple eating with simple living? Mm. And what we talked about earlier, simple living is living deliberately. It is finding out how you can bring things into your life or how you can use the resources you have in your life in a way that gives you the most meaningful life. And what you're describing right now is this process. Yeah. that you have gone through. You've worked so hard. You have years and years. I mean, it started back in uh, 2014 when the health problems really started coming down on you. Yeah. So for the last four years, dude, you have been doing uh, elimination diets. You've been meeting with different doctors. You've been listening to different health podcasts. You've done so much to basically bring you to this point right now yeah. where you have figured out exactly what you need yes. for your own personal diet, which makes you feel the best. It is a perfect synecdoche for uh, the rest of our minimalist lives. Yeah, and, and so, I, but also realizing how subjective it is because I look at my partner, Rebecca, she is mm. one of the healthiest people I know. Her diet is almost the exact opposite of mine. She is pretty much a vegetarian. She eats some eggs occasionally. She'll occasionally eat a piece of, of meat if she's sort of forced into it. But she also looks like she stepped off the cover of a, a like Women's Health magazine. She's super fit. She does you uh, 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 soul cycle and she does you know like CrossFit exercise and 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 so her life is super healthy with a radically different diet from mine. And so then the question becomes like, what is the appropriate diet for your life? Now, let me tell you three things that I've experienced since being on this diet this month. Number one is the more energy. I already talked about that. Mm -hmm. Number two is way, way, way less inflammation. I don't feel as achy mm. as, as I as I did before, right? I used to feel so achy and sort of creaky and I just assumed like, well, I'm 37 now, I'm getting old. Mm. Well, maybe it's not about getting old, maybe it's about fixing that inflammation. Right? Yeah. So I don't feel inflamed anymore and man, that it's is- It's amazing, man. It, and, and just to your point, like this is, this is the diet that you have found for yourself. Right. This is not something you're saying, everyone needs to do this now. No, I, I, what I'm saying is you need to figure out what works well right. for you and sometimes, with minimalism and anything else, it's eliminating all this other stuff and then slowly bringing things back in. Yeah, and it's hard work too, man. It absolutely is. It is. I mean, four years you've been going through different diets and doctors, man. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, it's it's funny to the point where I am I'm so happy that you're feeling good and healthy. There is a piece of me though that yeah. is like scared of like, oh shit. Yeah. Like, I hope that this lasts. I hope it isn't like, because uh, how, how many times have you taken, you know, 10 steps forward and mm -hmm. then six steps back? Right. And and I, I, I'm i cautious that way, but I'm also, so I'm going to do this for 90 days. So there's mm -hmm. an, in, an end game here. And then I'm going to do my blood work and compare it to the 90 days before. Yeah. So I have some markers and figure out, okay, that now what do I need to adjust? What do I need to bring back in? What do I need to supplement? What do I need to change? Because once you get an answer, it doesn't mean that's the answer for the rest of your life. Right, right. Uh, it, it means that it's And once you get an answer, it's an answer for you. Yes. Right. It's not yeah. an answer for everyone else. No. Yeah. No. And, and so you can maybe tweeze out an ingredient or two of what I'm doing. Uh, another, a few other things that have helped me out or that, that 
I've noticed this month I've uh, significantly increased libido and and sexual performance. Like it's been really great. Like Bex's and my sex life went from like a ten to a twelve, and I feel really great about that. But also just my overall energy level and mental clarity. Mm. I feel clearer now than I have before. Like I don't feel that same fog or or or. or uh, I don't feel lethargic like I used to, and there's a certain clarity that I wasn't getting before. That is and, awesome. And so that's my, you know, my thoughts on sort of this carnivore diet, but also on simple eating. And I'm willing to change it if I don't get the results. And I think that's the important thing to mention. Absolutely, man. Um, let's move on to this question from Gino. How can I be a minimalist? With a roommate. How do I make my roommate a minimalist? Now, that's not what Gino's asking. <laughs> I, well, I, you know what? <laughs> but what, sometimes that question can be can be translated that way. And, and sometimes that's actually what they mean. Right. Right? Yeah. And you know what? That it, It's it's an aspiration. Like, I want everyone else to be just like me. <laughs> no, actually, we don't want everyone else to be just like us because that'd be a relatively boring life, right? Yeah. So, I think the first thing to think about here, it, I, I object slightly to the question because it presupposes that you can't have a roommate if you're a minimalist, right? Yeah, well, yeah. And, and so uh, think about, I mean, I think about yours and Mariah's situation or mm. Bex's and my situation with Ella. And, and I think it has to do first off with, with coexisting with other people and appreciating them for who they are. Yeah, so let's talk about minimalism or no minimalism. Yes. How do you be a good roommate? Ah. How do you have a good roommate? Yes. So you go out of your way to add as much value as you can. You go out of your way to support your roommate, to respect your roommate, to appreciate the differences. And if you act like that, I mean, that's the golden rule, man. You, you treat someone how you want to be treated. So if you go out of your way to do these things for a roommate, the hope is, is that the roommate is going to reciprocate all of these amazing things that you've done for them. And mm -hmm. the same thing goes with minimalism. It's, it, it is something where uh, it, it, if you have a roommate and you go to them and you say, hey, um, there are a few expectations I uh, would like to, you know, to, to, to ask if you would be willing to do. Right. Um, you know, the common areas, let's keep them clean. Uh, with the kitchen, you know, let's, let's keep that stuff clean. And if you have done all that upfront work of being supportive with your roommate and showing them that you respect them, you respect the differences, even to that point where you appreciate the differences, well, your roommate is probably going to be, uh, probably going to be okay with, with making these, uh, uh, I don't want to call them compromises, but agreeing with these community rules, essentially. Yeah. I mean, there's no way that you can go to a roommate and say, hey, look, I'm a minimalist. That means you should be a minimalist too. Uh, we've got we've got too many couches in here. We've got too many chairs. We've got too many silverware. I mean, that is, that's the wrong way to approach a roommate. The mm -hmm. best way, again, is to... Uh, it's to show support and then ask for ask for support back. Now, sometimes, like I had a roommate that they don't give you the support back. Sure. No matter how much you support them. And in that case, well, I had to go find a new roommate. Yeah, I think that that's the key is we're also not stuck realizing that like this might be the ideal roommate situation mm. for the next month, the next six months, the next year. Yeah. But in it doesn't mean you're going to be roommates in perpetuity. Very rarely are two people roommates for the rest of their lives. Right. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, you feel a bit of despair, despair says something about your future, realize that the future can change. And so maybe this uh, this roommate situation is necessary right now, but mm. you can change it as well. And so you don't need to be with that roommate forever. Mm. And maybe it just means finding another place where you can be by yourself or finding another roommate mm. who's going to share your similar values. But 
With that said, you're gonna you're never gonna find the perfect roommate who is exactly not. like you, who shares the same exact identical preferences as you. Yeah, Mariah is by far the best roommate, uh-huh. best romantic part. I mean, this is like the one of the best relationships I have ever had in my life. And there are still nuances that I that it's my problem, not hers, mm-hmm. where there are preferences that I have that I have to uh, I have to look at and say, "Hey, Ryan, this is your preference. That's okay that this is your preference, but do not force your preference on Mariah. If anything, if it's really bothering me that much, I will go to Mariah and I will say, "Hey, I've got this one particular preference that I really would uh, love to have your help on." And uh, she's so awesome that she is usually willing to uh, to, to help me out. Um, but you know, even if there is something where it's totally ridiculous, if it's totally absurd that I'm that I'm asking. And, and and she points that out. No, Ryan, that's ridiculous. Uh-huh. Well, then that's where I, that's where it's my turn to uh, to give. Um, it makes me think about the us box. Yes. So uh, another, you know, uh, so the us box. We, we we talk about this a lot. Where with every relationship, there is an us box, and you've got to look at how often am I giving to that us box? If you're just taking from that us box, well, then guess what? You are a uh, you're a succubus. <laughs> no one wants to be a succubus. Yeah. But if you're giving to that us box, and the other person is giving to that us box. Well, uh, usually that makes for a really, really good relationship. And sometimes uh, giving to that us box, it means not putting uh, my preference first. Mm. And and uh, I mean, obviously, Mariah and I put each other's preferences first as much as we can. But there's sometimes where it just doesn't work. I can't, I'm trying to think of an example right now. I can't think of anything because we get along so freaking well. Yeah. But but my well, point- I've got some because I'm so neurotic. Yeah, just with, go for with, it with me and Beck. So so. Yeah, what's what's a preference you have that actually I know a huge one, dude. You've got a kid. Yeah, that is the biggest dude out of all of. So it was me, Josh, uh, his brother Jerome. We had another friend. It was the four of us who always hung out in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, I am the last of the four to have a kid. And I really, really thought it was going to be Josh because his preference was so stuck on. Yeah. I don't want children, dude. Right. This yeah, this was um, this is something that up until you met Bex. Right. It was a deal breaker. Yeah. And even when I met Bex, it was like, oh, this is totally reframing the way that I think about the world. Mm. Because, I mean, you have some options here, right? And so in order to be a good roommate or a good partner, or when I think of of a roommate, really you're just talking about living partners because you are a partner in living. I would, yeah, Mariah's my roommate. Yeah. And and, (laughs) she's also my romantic partner. She's my like spouse equivalent yeah yeah that's the 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 jonathan jonathan franzen term um and uh and and so you know when i think about when i think about um roommates or partners or anyone in which we are in a relationship with where we go wrong is when we think about me and we're not thinking about we amen dude i am so bad at that man and and so one thing i catch myself all the time oh like we're moving i'm moving and i'm like no no we are moving right wasn't it like when we were talking about moving to la the way i phrased it on the show sounded like mariah wasn't coming (laughs) to la people were tweeting you like (laughs) aren't aren't, uh, is is your partner coming with you or the yeah and so uh for me is so important one of the things that that we do is 
we should have to have shared preferences in, in the sense that like if I want to bring something new into the house mm. and we both need to agree on that thing. Otherwise, it doesn't come into the house at all. Now, that is an ideal relationship, but it also means I have to sacrifice something. I would really like to have this widget or this thing that I would get value from. But mm -hmm. if we aren't going to get value from, it's going to get in the way of someone else's preferences, yeah. then we agree to not bring it in the house. And the opposite is also true. If Bex wants to bring in you know, some painting that I don't like or something, we both need to agree on it. But here's the nice thing about that. It keeps the house aggressively simple. There's far fewer things to clean, but the things we do have in there, we both really enjoy. So we're not having mm. these unnecessary disagreements or arguments about those things. There's also some words that we won't use. Like I won't use the word hate. Mm. Uh, I hate that idea. I also won't attack the other person. Yeah. And I think that's that's really important. Never attack the, the person uh, or even their actions. Instead, I will share my preferences amen dude you know earlier i uh with this question i said something about um setting some expectations that i mean that is in an ideal world that sounds great just go with your roommate and set expectations but you don't literally want to go to your roommate and say hi i have expectations i'd like to set with you right like that is going to put it off on uh, on that's going to start off on the wrong foot with that conversation yeah. so when having that conversation to your point when you're talking to someone it is, it is, uh, I always talk about the I versus you. So yeah. if I'm saying something negative or not negative, but if I'm asking uh, someone else to correct something they're doing, I will try to put it on myself as much as possible. So for example, hey, uh, Josh, I really appreciate our relationship. Uh, you've been my best friend, you know, since the fifth grade. And for that, I am so grateful for. Mm. I've got this problem though, man, where I need to have 10 glasses of water on this table. And I know that that's a lot of glasses of water for you. And I really want to respect your preferences, but I really, really need those 10 glasses of water on this table while we record a podcast. Would you be willing to help me out with my problem? Is there anything that we can do? Maybe it's not 10 glasses. Maybe it's five glasses. I'm obviously using something really arbitrary and non-existent right now. Right. But, but the whole point is, is that having a conversation with someone, especially when you're trying to get them to uh, change their actions or to change their behavior, um, you have to a make it their decision, and you have to put all of the all of the uh, the guilt or the negativity, whatever it is that you're projecting. You've got to put that on yourself. Yeah, because if it is a, indeed a projection, then you want to avoid projecting exactly. that anyway. Because yeah. really, what you're doing is escalating in that situation. The opposite is also true. When I, I think about quite often in past relationships I've been in, or even in my current relationship to a much lesser extent, is yeah, is everything okay? Is everything okay? Um, because we hide sometimes when we have some sort of problem. You can see it on someone's features quite often. Not me because I, I don't wear my heart on my sleeve as much as most people. But but we go to people. Is everything okay? You sure everything's okay? Well, uh, there's a, a book by our friend Colin Wright. It's called Some Thoughts About Relationships, mm -hmm. right? And one of the, it's it's just a bunch of policies about relationships. It could be intimate relationships, friendships, roommates, whomever. And one of the, the policies he has, it's called the I'll tell you policy. Mm. And if something is wrong, it is my duty to tell you about that. Mm. And that way I'm never going around questioning Bex where, are you sure everything's okay? Are you, 
Are you worried about something you're not telling me? Is there yeah. something that you're not telling? No, because we have this policy. And it would be actually, it would be disingenuous of me. And it would be a lie of omission if I didn't tell her that something was wrong. I would be lying if I didn't tell her something was wrong because we have this policy between each other. The I will tell you policy mm-hmm. has made me be more upfront about my feelings and also the issues I have. One last thing that has helped me is uh, sitting down. And, and this is the last thing I will recommend here for Gino is have a conversation with your roommate and don't mm-hmm. say here are the expectations I have. J- j- just say, hey, what are 10 things you would like to see me improve? Yeah. If you sit down and say, hey, what are 10 things that I can improve? Mm. Do you think the person is not going to turn around and say, hey, what are 10 things I can do to be more supportive? Because Ryan, when you and I were, we were roommates for 13 months. Mm-hmm. Um, we first moved out to Montana. We moved to that cabin in the middle of nowhere for four months. Then me, you, and Colin Wright, mm-hmm. we all lived in the the same uh, asymmetrical house when we started our publishing company together. We lived there for seven months. And you two were the two best roommates I'd ever had, uh, mainly because you're the only roommates I ever had. <laughs> and I, I, I know it's hard. I'm really difficult to live with. That's an expectation I set with anyone before oh, we lived together. Oh, you're not that bad. But I, it's, it's an expectation I set. Yeah. Hey, I, here's why I'm really difficult to, to live with. I have, I have OCD. I have certain preferences. And both of you, even though you had different preferences, you were really respectful of my preferences. Absolutely. Well, because, dude, if I want you and Colin to be respectful of my preferences. I have to respect your preferences. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's the only way it works, man. I agree. What's our next question, Ryan? It is from Farah. Sorry, I'm stalling. I feel no, like it's from was, Jenny. There was one, oh yeah, it is from Jenny. There was, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little stilted right now because I was, uh, there was one more thing I was going to say about, uh, uh, about having a roommate if it comes back to me, I'll repeat it. How about that? Okay. All right, let's move on to Jenny's question. What's the one thing we can do that has the biggest impact on achieving a minimalist lifestyle? You know, I, hmm. I, I used to play basketball and it's like saying, what's the one thing that you can do to win a game? I just remember what it was. Sorry, I'm backtracking. Okay. You said, uh, say 10 things. Uh-huh. Hey, what are 10 things that, that, that I can change to make this relationship better? Yeah, that I can improve. You know what Mariah and I do? Every, every, if it's not once a month, it's once every other month. But I will ask her, what's one thing? Hmm. Just start with one thing. What is one thing that I can do to like make this relationship better? Yeah. And she might say, oh, you know, set me with a better expectation of what time you're going to be home after podcasts. Or yeah. maybe it's just one thing. And then in turn, um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I can say, hey, well, that's great. I'm going to do this. Uh, and then she'll say, is there anything I can change? And, you know, if there is, great. If not. But but yes, I love that idea, man. Like this is this is powerful, man, to go to your roommate or any relationship and say, what can I do to make this relationship better? And I think I think the reason I bring up 10 at first is because you're going to realize this pro- there probably aren't 10 things. Right. And they'll be grasping. And you'll realize you're actually closer to the same page than you thought you were. Now, here's the other thing. If you have a list of 43 things that your roommate can change, then maybe it's about, you know, you can't change the people <laughs> around you, but you can right. change the people around you. It might be time to get a new roommate. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. So uh, I totally want to cut you off, but All right, our next going question, back to Jenny's question. Jenny asks, what's the one thing we can do that has the biggest impact on achieving a minimalist lifestyle. 
So is there one thing? Man? I, yeah, I object to the question because I wish there was one thing that you could do that would like. Now I'm a minimalist. It's different for everyone. Well, man. I used to play basketball, right? And, yeah. and so when I when I played basketball, there wasn't one thing that would win the game for us. It was playing offense. It was shooting well. It was free throws. It was playing defense. It was ball control. It, it was managing the clock correctly. It was assists. It was steals. There were all of these different things that you could do in order to win the game. And I don't like this because what you're really looking for is a shortcut. And and the thing that I will tell Jenny here is there are no shortcuts, but there are more direct paths. And so, I mean, if if she's struggling, Ryan, if she's struggling to live a minimalist lifestyle, maybe the question is, what is the one thing I can do next? And uh, Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, he talks about how the word priority was a singular word until the 20th century. Mm. And now, Jenny is saying, well, maybe I have 100 priorities. What's the one thing I can focus on? No, you can still focus on the 100 things, but what is the priority? Meaning, what is the one thing? Priority literally means the one thing. Yeah. What is the one thing you can focus on now that is going to get you the most bang for your buck? What's the most appropriate thing? So going with the basketball analogy, it depends on the basketball team, right? Like there might be one thing that you know could have helped uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers win the championship. Yeah, I mean J.R. Smith knowing what the score was would have helped in game right, one. Exactly, but then you go to a different team. There's one thing that's there's one thing, a different thing mm-hmm. that might help out another team. So, you know, Jenny, to, to your question, it's not what's the one thing this overarching. Uh, uh, you know, question for everyone. Like, what is this one thing that can make people a better minimalist? The question is, is what is the one thing for you that could help you be a better minimalist? Like going back to those priorities, man, I always, when people tell me they've got 10 priorities and I don't know which one to focus on. It's like, well, you, you give got one or two options. Yeah. You could put them all in a hat, pick one out, or you can just go to the first thing that you've written down on your list. Yeah. But you do have to choose. Well, let me give you some simple tips here. This might help at least move you in the right direction. The first one is ask yourself a question. How might my life be better with less? Yeah. And that'll help you identify, like, what is the one thing for me? For me, initially, it was finances. For you, it might mean I have more time for my family. I have more time for creating. I have more time for my hobbies. I have more time to contribute to my community. I have more time for my relationships. I have more time to focus on my health. What is the thing that is important to you? And by asking that question, you'll be able to figure out how do I move forward? Now, if you want some simple tips, I mean, you could try the 30-day minimalism game. Mm-hmm. It's a new month. And so you partner up with someone. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But basically how that works is you just partner up with a friend, a family member, a coworker. On the first day of the month, you each get rid of one item. Second day of the month, two items. Third day of the month, three items. Starts off really easy. Gets you that momentum that you need. And so momentum is might be the one thing for you, yeah. right? And if you, because if you're stuck, you're not moving anywhere. Maybe you need some momentum. We'll start off with a 30 day minimalism game. It'll get you going in the right direction. By the middle of the month, it gets way more difficult because it's day 15. You're like, oh crap, I got to get rid of 15 items. Day 20, I got to get rid of 20 items. And then tomorrow, I have to get rid of 21. And so whoever goes the longest wins. If you both make it to the end of the month, you've both won because you've gotten rid of about 500 items. And then if you really want to get extreme with it, if if you're someone like Ryan, maybe something like a packing 
party. So Ryan packed up everything that he owned in over 21 days, unboxed only the items he needed. So he pretended he was moving. And as he pretended he was moving, he realized that most of the stuff he owned was just owning him mm. because, well, I mean, you know, Ryan, as you were going through that, you're like, I don't even remember. I can't remember what's in most of these boxes. Yeah. And, and if that's too extreme for you, but you still want something a little bit extreme, do a packing party with one room. When's the last time you used all those cosmetics or the weird stuff that's growing mold below the sink in your bathroom, right? <laughs> do a packing party for your bathroom. Do a packing party for your kitchen. And why do you have 30 coffee mugs that say number one grandpa on them? <laughs> Are you actually going to use those things? Yeah, it's, it's uh, man, I wish there was just this easy answer to be like, do this one, there's this one simple trick on being an awesome minimalist. <sighs> I mean, if there's one trick, it's live deliberately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the one trick. All right. Our next question is from Fira. How do you balance the thought between live your life as it is right now and worrying about the future? My anxiety about the future often makes me not enjoy the life I currently have. So we just did an episode on anxiety, mm. Ryan. Yeah. And, and this question is appropriate because what, what Fira is trying to balance is what is going on in my life right now. Yeah. And then I'm also worried about the future. Now, you can think about the future. Sure. Without worrying about the future. I think those Absolutely. are two different things. Now, Fira here just by thinking about the future is sort of presupposing that no matter what she does to think about the future, she's going to be worrying about the future. Mm. Now, I want to live a life that my future self is going to be proud of. So I want to live a life that is congruent right now. My daily actions today are congruent with the person I want to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And so that way, I'm not going to be worried about the future. I'm going to be anticipating the future for what it is. And living in the moment for me means making sure that I'm congruent. There's some sort of congruency between the person I want to be and the actions I take right now. Yeah. So, I mean, step number one sounds like Fira has got to get clear on what her values and beliefs are. Yeah. Because, I mean, ultimately, when when I think about living a meaningful life, uh, when I think about, you know, what is happiness? And I say happiness as a, not as in like endorphins hitting my head and being happy, but living a meaningful life and happiness longer term well-being yeah is interchangeable for me it's when my short-term actions align with my long-term values and beliefs Mm -hmm. and if i'm not clear on those values and beliefs well then i'm going to be lost uh, until i figure out what those are so step number one is yes figure out what those values and beliefs are i mean i can't tell you i mean how many times have we, we we talked about that i can't tell you how many mentoring students i've had and like that's where we start getting clear on the values and beliefs because that is the compass that's that is uh that is the guide for what you should take action on every single day and when something is off balance when 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 uh you're not able to live in the moment that compass really helps yeah, and i think your your beliefs need to be anchored in your values because if not the the so so our beliefs are the past that, that get us to the destination the destination being the values mm-hmm. and quite often we might have a bunch of beliefs we don't know why we believe them mm-hmm. and that becomes a problem as well yeah. uh, it, we're, uh, our beliefs are often someone else's beliefs and we don't know how we got there or actually where we're going we don't know how we got on that path that belief mm-hmm. and we don't really know where it's taking us and so I think it's really important to start with those values and then you figure out how do I 
I get to to where I'm going? Absolutely, man. The, the, another tool um, that I will recommend for Farah is your calendar. Like this, for me, is so important because the calendar helps me plan ahead for, uh, you know, not just staying on top of my adult responsibilities, but also for my free time, for... Uh, for when we're recording a podcast, but having having everything scheduled out and being able to know uh, where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there, mm-hmm. that helps me to live more in the moment because I'm not so paranoid about, oh, did I forget something today? I do. Like sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like, where am I going to be today? And I'll pull up the calendar and I'm like, oh, I don't have to be anywhere today. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I can look at that and I can instantly let that anxiety go. And you realize you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yes, and it, that's why you let the anxiety go. Exactly. And then the other thing too, man, this is, uh, I mean, uh, I would recommend this for anyone, but for me, man, like you and I were just talking about before this podcast, the, uh, how Mariah and I have been doing um, this budget over the last couple months mm-hmm. and how it has uh, affected, um, you know, different things in our lives. But what I'll say, man, is like, Knowing where every dollar is going to go and having a plan for that, dude, that takes off so much anxiety, not just for the month, but for retirement, for everything else, man. Like, so, so really, you're thinking about the future without worrying about it. Exactly, man. So maybe like, this is, uh, this is my way of saying, uh, Farah, you need to find tools to use in your life that help you to plan for the future mm-hmm. so uh, that you don't have to constantly be worrying about what is happening in the future. Yeah, and so some of those tools are using your calendar effectively, yeah. scheduling as much as you can, including the, some of the things that I schedule are time just to mess around on YouTube for an hour. Yeah, I did this last night, actually. By the t- I had my work day done, and so from uh, 7 until 9 p.m., I watched unnecessary YouTube videos. And Dot com. <laughs> 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 and and I felt good about it because I had planned for it ahead of time. And mm. so I didn't, I didn't feel like, well, uh, should I be doing something else right now? Yeah. No, this was the best use of my time because I had planned for it accordingly. Now, of course, you can overplan. You can plan a bunch of nonsense for your day. You have to be honest with yourself when you're using these tools. Yeah. You have to use them effectively. A hammer is a tool, but if I use it to just beat Jordan over the head with it, <laughs> he's not going to be happy about it. And our videos would suck. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> but dude, you know, it's funny. Like we plan vacations. Yes. And like vacations are these times. It's our, it's giving ourselves permission to uh, go somewhere and pretty much do whatever we want with that time that we have set aside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, planning a week vacation is, is, uh, is great, but planning a little hour vacation is great. Do we all yes. have to, we all have to veg. You know, minimalism is not about staying productive 24 hours a day. No. It's not about um, constantly be working towards this massive, making a dent in the universe. Yeah, every, GTD, get yeah, things done. Get things done. Uh, minimalism is about, um, it's about keeping our keeping ourselves sane in this insane world that we live in. Right. And, and uh, yes, like part of, for me, even though I'm a huge extrovert, man, like I still need to veg out. And Mariah and I, we will sit and watch, you know, stupid reruns of, well, they're not stupid, they're hilarious, of, uh, you know, Seinfeld or The Office or whatever it may be. Uh, but, but yes, there's no shame in, um, there's no shame in vegging out. There's no shame in watching unnecessary YouTube videos. The only, the only time where I feel shame when I do that stuff is when 
I know I should be doing something else. But if you schedule the time to do it, yeah. there's no reason to feel guilty. Yeah, the reason that, that you feel anxious quite often is because of the many distractions that are out there. Mm. There's this fear of missing out because we're constantly bombarded by endless messages. Yeah. Do this, do this, do this. And we feel like we're missing out and that produces anxiety. Now you can reduce the number, you can filter out the number of inputs. If we get 500,000 discrete inputs every day, there's no way that we can filter through all of them, but what we can do is put up some walls, some barriers. We can remove the social media apps from our phones. Yeah. We can agree to check our email once or twice a day at scheduled times. We can agree to not spend more than an hour a day watching television. We can agree to use the calendar. We can agree to use a budgeting app like Every Dollar. We, we can agree to use, for me, I use a today list, not a to-do list, a today list yeah, to truly man figure out what my priorities are, that eliminates the many distractions that I have. If we get rid of those distractions, the anxiety level decreases dramatically. Absolutely. One other thing, don't confuse ephemeral happiness with long-term well-being. Mm. Another essay from our friend Colin Wright, it's up on our website right now, it's called Eudaimonia. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's a different kind of happiness. Quite often we think of happiness as, as this momentary burst of pleasure. Yeah. Now, I've got a five-year-old daughter, and Ella is always in the moment. The kids, five-year-olds especially, are really great at being in the moment. <laughs> they don't have to worry about, you know, retirement. Right. Not, even though they don't, not that they don't have to worry about it. They don't have to think about yeah, it, right? Yeah. And so they don't do much thinking. In fact, if I asked her what she did yesterday... The answer is almost, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. Because they're so focused on the right here and right now. And that can be great as long as you're also thinking about the the future and, mm -hmm. and the future consequences. That's why as adults, we have fully developed frontal cortexes. We have to think about both. And so this essay, Eudaimonia, really talks about balancing out that short-term a static pleasure mm. with long-term well-being. Yeah. I'm less concerned now with the, oh my God, I have to feel excited in every moment. <laughs> what a bad expectation anyway. So bad. And that's why kids have tantrums is because uh, they, they don't have that. Yeah. As soon as they lose that in the moment excitedness, it's, oh my God, I'm freaking out. Yeah. Instead, let's worry about long-term well-being. Well-being in the moment, but also, does this lead to my future well-being? And that term is called eudaimonia. Yeah. And so take a look at that essay. We'll put a, a link to that. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably see it on the screen as well. Our next question is from Mimi. Mimi asks, how do you... Mimi, Mimi, <laughs> Sorry. Mimi asks, how do you break the strong attachment to your stuff? It's easy. You just become a minimalist. <laughs> Next question. You know what? It, I thought about this. And it, when people are working with iron, right? Like if they're you know, hammering iron and you know, forming it into something new or they need to break off a piece, the easiest way to break a strong piece of iron is to make it less strong. You have to heat mm -hmm. it up in this yeah. case, right? In order to make that attachment or to make that, that piece more malleable. And I started the wrong way when I first embraced minimalism. I, I started with my mom's sentimental items. The hardest 
piece of the iron. Right. I, I, yeah. I like took the iron and tried to break it over my knee, right? And it was mm. painful yeah. to do that. So I don't recommend starting with the most painful items. Don't hurt yourself. Right. So I think the easiest way is to find the weakest attachments first. If we all own a bunch of stuff that we're not using, we can all agree that most of the things that most people own, myself included in my 20s, most of the, over 90% of the things I own probably were junk. Now, I pretended they added some sort of value to my life, but they really were just excess. They were in the way. They weren't adding any real value to my life. Right. But... The reason I couldn't let go is because I had some sort of strong attachment to it. But there were some things where I, I could rationalize very easily. I, I didn't feel that emotional attachment to it. So start with the easiest things first. You get that momentum. And so you can go to your closet. I think most people can start with their closet or they can start with their junk drawer or they can start with their kitchen cabinets. And they can go in there and say, what is the thing in here that I haven't worn in the last year? I haven't used in the last year, and I'm not going to use within the next year. That's a, a derivative of our 90-90 rule. Eventually, you can say, have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use it in the next 90? But to develop that, to find the weak attachment, what's the thing I've used in the last year? I bet you there are some things that are still in a box from the last time that mm. you moved. Maybe it's in a basement or an attic or a closet somewhere. Maybe you don't even know what's in that box. And you start there and you realize, I actually have a pretty weak attachment to this. And you give yourself permission to let go of the weak thing, right? Because it's already the iron has already been heated for that, and so it's easier to break apart. And from there, you realize like, oh, there are other weaker attachments. And you develop the strength that you need to let go. And letting go becomes a muscle that you strengthen over time until you get to the point where you are a, a minimalist. You, your advice, even though you said it in jest, is actually good advice. It, become a minimalist, meaning strengthen your letting go muscle yeah becoming a minimalist i mean that's much easier said than done but that's you know what you just described is kind of the process of becoming a minimalist um i think one of the like the biggest things that i do to help me not get attached to stuff is i have stopped bringing stuff into my life that i know i'm going to be attached to yes. like i start thinking about uh when mariah and i go on uh, different vacations. I mean, we've been to Europe, we've been to uh, Tokyo, we've been to Germany. We've been to some really awesome places. I've got nothing. No tchotchkes. No tchotchkes from any of those, any of those trips. P uh, you know, partly because like, I don't want to have to make room for it on the airplane. Right. So I mean, like, there's that, there's that uh, motivator there. But it's funny. So on our last trip, you, you're talking about that. Someone tried to give me a thing that I actually was going to get some value. It was a book. Right. Um, when we were down at, at, at Dave Ramsey's compound, I said, "Hey, would you be willing to mail one of those to me? Because my bag, the packed one bag that you and I both use, has exactly enough space for the things that I'm going to use during my trip. Yeah. Now, could I cram a, a book in there? Yes. A, it's going to make it heavier, which is a perfect metaphor for bringing new stuff into our lives we have to think about these things actually weigh us down now you see that when you're traveling yeah. you may not see it when you're just storing that extra widget or the the tchotchke from germany or wherever you're storing your house but in a way it does weigh you down right yeah i mean the bag too it's i mean it is a it's a limitation that uh that we give ourselves when we're on tour when we're traveling we have our bag 
throw the things that fit in the bag and anything that doesn't fit in the bag well it doesn't go in the bag mm. uh but it's also a metaphor for uh the the rules and the limitations we put on ourselves in life you brought up you know the different rules that we go by 90 90 rule or maybe it's the you know the just in case rule but souvenirs specifically i will avoid uh, getting anything that I know I'm going to, it's going to be really, really hard for me to break free from. But what I'll say, man, is like going around the world and traveling and putting this into practice, it has built that muscle to the point now where I don't even crave souvenirs. Mm-hmm. If anything, um, I'll go back. I, I got pictures, you know, uploaded uh, to my computer. Like I'll go back and look at pictures and remember the good times and, you know, try to, try to, um, Oh, trigger some of those memories from yeah. those amazing trips. But you don't need the things to do that. Exactly. So, so yes, Mimi, uh, you, you've got to get some momentum built. Yes, start with the small stuff. Start with the things that you can let go of easily. But, you know, the other way I look at this too, man, is like uh, I think about drug addiction. And how does one stop being addicted to drugs? And and this is a, probably a little bit of an extreme example for most uh, when it comes to our things. But if you think about the process of getting rid of, uh, of that addiction, you first must recognize that you have a problem. Mm. Then you must start to take steps to rectify that problem. It might be uh, getting some support from someone else, maybe going and you know, seeing a counselor or something. Uh, it might be having an accountability buddy who is, is there or a sponsor that you can call when you're really having a hard time. But ultimately, uh, when you think about drug addiction, you have to find a way You have to find a way to break the cycle. Mm -hmm. You have to find a way to change your state. You have to find a way to start moving forward in a different way. Yeah, and so if you want to break free, I think that's a great analogy. I think of a, a ship that is out at sea. And, and if you want to go somewhere, you have to pull your anchors up. But the first thing to do is stop putting more anchors down, right? right? And that's what we're doing in our everyday culture and our credit cards and, and our spending habits have enabled us to actually continue to bring on more anchors. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you have to do is stop putting the anchors out there. Right. So how do you, uh, yeah. So how do you stop being attached to stuff? Well, first stop buying so much stuff. Yeah. Stop bringing this stuff into your life. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. So I think I think that is where you start and then weaken your attachment. Don't start with the most difficult things. Eventually, you will get there. But let's start with those weak attachments. Break that cycle. Build that letting go muscle. And then you'll be able to move forward to the things that are more difficult. Yeah, it really comes down to habits, man. It may, it, this makes me think of, too, when uh, you gave up. Someone had, uh, you know, I forget what article it was or what radio interview it was hey. one of the first times i was i was interviewed by a guy named craig yeah. what are your mo- what are your most prized possessions yeah. what are your the favorite things that you own he had a, a blog called simple black coffee i think is what it was called or and and uh yeah they, he asked that question like what are the, your three most what are your three favorite items it's kind of like a gotcha question it, i know you're a minimalist but what items do you have that you are just not willing to part with? What do you love? Yeah, I think that's the implicit message. Yeah. It is like, what are the things that are difficult for you to get rid of, right? Mm-hmm. And so I got to thinking about that. And I, I had a favorite shirt at the time. It was from J. Crew. It was like this button-up striped shirt. Mm-hmm. And then I had this pair of jeans. And I had this pair of Allen Edmund shoes. And I'm like, here are my three favorite pieces of clothes. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy them. I feel comfortable in them. But then I got to thinking like, wait a minute why are these my favorites they're Mm. just clothes right and i said you know what hey craig here um here are the 
here are my three favorite pieces of clothes, and I send him pictures. But what I'd like to do here is I'd like to just give them away to someone who can get value from them. And what I realized in that process is they're just things. They're yeah. replaceable things. Yeah. And other things actually stepped up. And and here's the thing. That shirt, I guarantee you, if I would have held on to it, I still owned it today, it would no longer be my favorite shirt now. Mm-hmm. And by letting it go, I realized I could also let go of that attachment. It helped me build that letting go muscle. Yeah, what a great what a great uh, idea for someone out there who has a hard time of letting go of stuff. Pick something that you're not going to be devastated if you let go of. Like I think about when, but something that's a little difficult. Right, exactly. I was think I'm, I'm thinking about uh, when I was going through the packing party stuff, and I had that shoebox of the the letters to my uh, that my mom uh, wrote, uh, wrote me in high school. There was, you know, pictures of me and my prom date, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. And I picked one thing out of that box. I picked a letter from my mom. And you sold it on eBay. That's right. I scanned it. I, I, I put it in the trash. Um, I did not feel that much pain. Although there was this feeling that I was going to have so much pain letting that letter go. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, two things. Um, we make things way harder than what they actually are. Right. So that's first and foremost. The other thing too is, dude, I scanned that letter. I have not read it since I scanned it. So uh, the, the the physical possessions uh, that I was holding onto that I thought had so much sentimental value, um, well, they just didn't really mean as much as I, I had initially thought. And just getting a little bit of courage to let go of that one letter, getting some courage to let go of that pair of jeans, that pair of shoes. Dude, those shoes told, they got David a job. Remember that? Yeah. So so we, we have a friend. He lives in Chicago now, but he lived in uh, San Diego at the time. And so I put up the the, the post about, hey, is, if anyone wants these, just send me an email and why, why they would add value to your life. I'll just send it to you, right? Yeah. And that pair of shoes... Um, uh, well, he, he emailed me and he was like, hey, I'm about to go on this job interview. I could really use a nice pair of shoes that helped me feel confident for this job interview. And they were a nice pair of shoes. Alan Edmonds makes really nice shoes. They're good dress shoes. And he's like, man, I got the job. Inter- I got the job after wearing these shoes yeah. to interview. Now, I don't think a pair of shoes will get you the, the job. But I think for him, it was like it was, added this piece of confidence sure. for him. And you realize something for, for free can... Your confidence is free in a way. Yeah, and I wasn't gonna—I wasn't gonna get nearly as much value as he got from from those pair of shoes. So me letting go actually helped other people in the process. Yeah, dude. So I, I guess the moral of the story is—is is, uh, you know, not only do we make things a little bit harder in our minds before uh, we we take action on it. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is sometimes we take the action and not only is it not as difficult as we anticipated, but there are some amazing benefits uh, that happen from letting go. Yes. So uh, yeah, Mimi, take a little courage, uh, find something that you can let go of and, and get some momentum built. You ready for uh, Magdalena's question? I am. All right. How have you kept your relationships and your minimalist life among people who only care and talk about things and money? So, Josh, how do you... Uh, well, all, all, yeah, mostly everyone I hang out with, <laughs> they just talk about things and money. Well, you know, you know what's funny? Reading this question, dude, it makes me kind of re- reposit it. How have you kept your relationships and your minimalist life among the shitty relationships you had? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, so a long time ago, I I wrote an essay called Letting Go of Shitty Relationships. And you can find it on our website. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, man, I'll tell you. It's one of the most difficult things I had to let go of. So you don't start with letting go of 
the shitty relationships with the toxic people. But one thing you realize, you have if you have these victimizers in your life, they're going to continue to victimize mm. you. Now, that's an extreme example. And I don't want you to be the victim of their consumerism in a way, right? We all need some stuff. And I will talk about things from time to time sure. or things that I get value Or we'll from. talk about money from time to time. Absolutely. I mean, it, the, the things and money are two things that make the world go round. Right, right. But I would much rather talk about those things with respect to our values, yeah. our desires, our needs, our wants, as opposed to... Well, just a sort of vapid consumerism that is propagated by advertisements and the everyday media. And yeah. so when, when, I, when I think about Magdalena's question here, the, the thing that I think about is, man, you need some new friends. And that's okay. Yeah. You need some new friends. And it doesn't mean that your current friends are evil. No. But they just don't align with your values and beliefs. And, and that's okay. And you know what? It may, be, it may mean that you didn't know what those values were for a really long time. Mm. And now all of a sudden, you're uncovering those values. And you're realizing that many of the relationships that you have right now are birthed out of proximity and convenience. Mm. Meaning you work in the cubicle next to them. They happen to be, they grew up in the same neighborhood as you. They attend the same networking events or you, you hang out at the same bars or nightclubs Yeah, go together. to the same school, yeah. Yeah, and so you have these relationships that are there because of proximity, but they're not birthed from the same sets of values. Now I think about my relationships, and it's taken a long time. You and I discovered minimalism almost a decade ago. Now, we were just in Nashville, and I have a bunch of friends in Nashville. So they're certainly not relationships because of proximity, right? We spent some time with our friend Griffin House. He has the two best kids I've ever met. <laughs> I, the, afterward, I said, hey, I was talking to Bex. I'm like, hey, Bex, how can we get our daughter to love me as much as Griffin's kids love me? <laughs> um, and uh, I had such a blast with his two kids. Yeah. And and, and just with the, the relationship that we've developed with Griffin over the years, he's he's one of our favorite musicians ever. Mm-hmm. And, and not only does he have great music, so we share similar values with respect to creativity, but we also uh we we grew up in similar situations we actually all grew up in ohio even though none of us live there anymore yeah i grew up in dayton yeah yeah and so he he has similar values to us and so i don't see him all the time we've maybe seen him twice in the last year Mm -hmm. he was in la doing a tour stop we were in nashville doing a tour stop and when we do make time when we do when we're in the same city we make time for each other yeah so in order for someone to be my friend doesn't mean i need to see them every single day the next day in fact we went to go see austin hartley leonard who's another talented musician mm-hmm. um he has a, a band called broken anchor you can check out their music wherever you get music love his music in fact his song uh, he has a song called ohio even though he's not from ohio so good it's one of my top five favorite songs of of all time mm-hmm. um and That's and I love him, and I love his wife, Amy. Uh, I haven't seen them in four years. They used to live in Los Angeles before we lived in Los Angeles. And now that we live in Los Angeles, they live in Nashville. (laughs) And it's been four years. I've talked to them on the phone a couple times. We text occasionally. 
but we're able to pick up when we're in the same city and we have the most meaningful times together. And I do this over and over and over. Our good friend Adam, who we went to high school with, I worked with at the same restaurant in high school. We get to see him once a year if we're lucky. Mm. But I have some of the most meaningful conversations with him on the phone or in person when we do have the chance. And it's because I'm not starved for spending every moment with them. It'd be nice if they live in the same city as me. But what's more important is their their value structure and who they are as a person. And having those meaningful relationships, the quality is so much more important than the quantity. Absolutely, man. You know, here's my, I guess my short answer to Magdalena's question. So she asks, again, how have you kept your relationships and your minimalist life among people who only care and talk about things and money? We didn't. Yeah. We didn't keep those people around. And it's not, and again, this isn't a judgment against those folks. It is, if anything, it's a judgment against myself. Right. And, and, and saying like, well, this is, you know, what, uh, this is where my values and beliefs lie and I'm not willing to compromise those. And I don't want to hang out with anyone who, um, isn't supporting those values and beliefs. Do you like birthday cake, Ryan? Do you like how it tastes? <laughs> What a dumb question. Of course you do. <laughs> do, do you like tuna you fish? Just take, do, you could take a birthday out of there. <laughs> just any cake in general. Do you like tuna? Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, but when you mix the two together, it tastes awful. Tuna cake, patent pending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try it out. You let me know how it works. And that's that's really where Magdalena is I know is like Minimalist right Baker is listening to this right now, and she's like, I'm going to do a tuna cake. <laughs> just to see the look on Josh's face. Here's the thing. That's where Magdalena no, is right absolutely, now. Absolutely. She is mixing tuna with cake. And you're not saying that one is great and one is awful. You're saying these are two things that don't work together anymore. Yeah. In my life, my values no longer work with the values of the current people I surround myself with. So what is the answer? You have to change the people around you because you can't change the people around you. Samir has a question yeah. for us. How do you reduce your entertainment expenses and still keep your kids happy? You know, here's the thing, like, uh, you're not, I, I, so I have a five-year-old and keeping her entertained is generally not that expensive. Dude, I have seen, I have been around you, Bex, and Ella, I can't even count how many times. Uh-huh. And never has money been involved in making Ella happy. Well, it, I take that back. We went to Disneyland. That cost some money, but. It did. But by and large, like when we're at your house hanging out. Or wherever we're going for a walk or we were, you know, watching the uh, gay pride parade. I mean, there are very, very few times where I've been hanging out uh, where Mariah and I've been hanging out with the three of you and we've had to spend money to keep the kid happy. Minimalism is not about deprivation and we do want to make not. sure our kids are happy, but we also want to make sure that we take care of their, their well-being, their, their well-fed. The, yes, we want them to be entertained, but I also, I'm less worried about the perpetual entertainment because Ryan, if I just wanted to entertain Ella all day, I would just turn YouTube on and she would watch Peppa Pig for 14 hours a day and it'd be a miserable existence long-term. Right. She'd be pacified in the moment. So how do I work on entertaining her? I focus less on entertaining her and I, I focus more on nourishing her. And I don't just mean like through food, although that is certainly important, but how do I nourish her mind? How do I get her engaged? How do I keep her learning? But then when I think about money and entertainment, one of her favorite 
toys right now is I, I bought a, a lamp recently. It's like a desk lamp because I get up early and I need a, a lamp on my desk because it's just super dark there when I'm writing. And it came in this oversized box. You know when you get something and you're like, why is the box that big yeah dude, like you order like cart. you order a bottle of ibuprofen from amazon yeah and it shows up in the six foot <laughs> coffin <laughs> right with a bunch of packing material in it right yeah uh this one had this massive box uh for a lamp that is about as big as if you're watching this on youtube it's about as big as this mic stand so it's a decent sized lamp but the box is, is almost as big as me mm. and it is a fort a castle a spaceship it is everything that she wants uh, with that, but that said, I also buy her toys, right? Mm. I don't want to deprive her, so she has a nice bin of toys that she likes to play with, that are interactive, that help nourish her mind, so she's not passively just entertaining herself. She's actively entertaining herself. So maybe the better question is, how can we actively entertain our kids as opposed to pacifying them? Absolutely. All right, our next question is from Ray. Ray says, I love the idea of living in a minimalist home, but it doesn't feel cozy. I think some rugs, plants, art, and decorations greatly improve the feels. (laughs) (laughs) The feels and quality of a room, but they aren't always necessary. What are your thoughts about those unnecessary things? Dude, by default, they are necessary according to Ray. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what you mean by necessary and unnecessary. So I look at all of my possessions and they fit in one of three categories. They are either essential, mm-hmm. non-essential. So maybe that's what he means by unnecessary. Yes. And junk. Now, right. Or maybe he means junk when he says unnecessary. So we need to get clear on using the same language. I think it's important. So when you're, when you're looking at the people in your household, when you look at the stuff in your household, make sure you're using the same language. Now, the essentials are... What is truly essential in my life? I know I need a roof over my head, so I need I need a place to live, whether that's an apartment, a condo, a house, or a, a, an Airbnb. I need some sort of uh, housing situation for me to live in. That's the essential. Now, the non-essentials are things like my couch. So uh, we did this thing called Living Room Conversations where mm-hmm. we recorded like 30 different uh, interviews or conversations in my living room. So you can, if you go to our YouTube channel, you can see my living room. There's a couch in there. Now, I, I could I get by without a couch, Ryan? Mm, sure. Probably, yeah, yeah. I think I'd be okay without a couch. Mm-hmm. But it does add value to my life. So it's a non-essential item, but I truly get value from it. The third the third category is junk. And that's what my life used to be filled with mostly was junk. 90% of my things were probably junk, but I pretended they were necessary. And, and so if you mean by unnecessary, if you mean junk, then I say, no, you probably don't need any junk. But if you come over to my house, I don't think you're going to come over there and say, this is stark or this isn't cozy or maybe you will and that's okay the question is what are the things that add value to your life and if you can afford those bring them into your home what is appropriate for your home may not be appropriate for mine and you have to adjust accordingly yeah i mean ray says here i think some rugs plant art and decorations greatly improve the feels and quality of a room i have all those things yeah i mean that is then if that if that for you Ray, if that what is what improves the, 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 the quality of the room, if those things truly add value to your life, then bring them into your life, man. Minimalism is not about not being cozy. Right. If you are a minimalist and you're like, oh man, I love being a minimalist, but I hate not being cozy. 
I mean, uh, I wish I was allowed to have a rug. There's not, yeah, there's not a set of rules. There, there isn't like anything that Josh and I are ever going to judge anyone for. If anything, we relate. But, you know, I would posit that if you're sitting in a room and you're like, I'm a minimalist, I love being a minimalist, but it doesn't feel cozy, you might be doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. It may require you getting to that point of of feeling as though it is stark. Like you have to eliminate the excess before you can figure out what will truly add value to your life. Mm -hmm. Let's say you've stripped down your house to nothing. You're still complete. You are a complete human being in that empty living room. Right. Now is your opportunity. You've temporarily deprived yourself. Now you say, okay. Like you and I went on, on tour for uh, almost a year. It was 10, 10 months in, in 2014. Yeah. We went to 100 different cities, 119 different events. And I remember getting back home and realizing two things. I had these sort of these paradoxical viewpoints. Ryan, the first thing I noticed was there were, when we came back home to Missoula, Montana, there were some things I forgot that I owned. Yeah. And there were other things where I'm like, oh, we've been on the road and we've stayed in a lot of people's homes. They were nice enough to let us sleep on their couches and spare bedrooms and floors and or we stayed in some Airbnbs. And I realized like, oh, I haven't had a couch in several years and I miss having a couch. So why not bring a couch back into my life if I'm going to get value from it? So if Ray wants rugs and, and what else did he want? Coffee tables, decorations, whatever get rid of all that stuff at first maybe mm. but then figure out what will truly add value you come over to my house now i have some decorations i have little art pieces and i have a mirror on the on the wall that is beautiful and i think my furniture is art too like bex and i worked really hard in fact you go back and listen to our decorations podcast i think it was episode 119 where we talk about the the process of being very deliberate of slowly populating our home temporarily depriving ourselves but slowly populating our home with the things that will add value to both of our lives to we instead of just me yeah i mean mariah and i we lived in our place for nine months before we ended up getting uh uh like a kitchen table because for the longest time we were like oh we'll just live without it live without it and then after nine months we're like you know what this is really inconvenient yeah to not have a place to sit down and eat yeah so we finally got one so so yes ray if you are in a situation right now where uh, you you are not cozy. You have put yourself into this discomfort zone. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is helping Ray in some way, uh, being in this discomfort zone. I know that's, you know, you and I talk a lot about how that is from, you know, this is a place from which you grow the most is that discomfort zone. Yeah. So what have you learned, Ray? What have you learned during this discomfort? Yeah. And now what are you going to do in your life to make yourself feel cozy, to make yourself feel more comfortable? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's okay to be temporarily discomfort, to have some temporary discomfort, but man, don't, don't look at a minimalist, a minimalist life is just constantly making yourself uncomfortable. That's not, that is, that is, that is not what Josh and I advocate for. And by the way, my cozy might be cluttered for you and your cozy might be cluttered for me. Mm -hmm. And that's because what is appropriate for me may be inappropriate for you. Yeah, dude. I had a, I had a uh, ex-girlfriend whose mom had, it was like over a hundred Santas that she would put out during Christmas. Were they living or dead Santas? (laughs) No comment. But, uh, you know, I was sitting around, I was counting them and I was just like, and I wasn't counting them for any other reason than her and I were joking around about how many Santas do you think are in the house? It wasn't a judgment thing. It was more of a bet. Like, I bet you there's a 150, oh, 180. Anyway, yeah. I forget what the number was. Yeah. But I remember as, as we're talking about it and thinking about how, 
she her mom i would still look at her like she's a minimalist in the sense that those santas like really during the holiday times makes her happy it makes her feel cozy yeah i know that her grandkids really love to uh you know play around with them and make them fight or you know whatever <laughs> man I, I i know that those were put out and it's not like she just took out 150 santas and then like threw them in the middle of the room and then walked out i mean every single one was like deliberately placed was mm-hmm. it too many santas for me yeah dude one santa is yeah. too many for me it was inappropriate for you inappropriate for me but totally appropriate for her absolutely our next question our next question is from dan how can simple living be achieved as a freelance entrepreneur who's constantly under the pressure of hustling as much as possible to build a business and succeed? This brings up conflicting priorities. God, this question stresses me out. It does because I think, well, I, I think we get confused here. Um, well, first off, are you a freelancer or are you an entrepreneur? I'm circling those two words. They mean two different things, right? You're a freelancer if you are, and Seth Godin's written a whole lot about this. You're a freelancer if you take on client work for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are an entrepreneur if you're building a, a business. Now, maybe you're doing both, but maybe you're just one and you don't need to stop worrying about the other one. Maybe you really enjoy freelance work. Maybe you design logos for other people and that's what you want to do. You're a freelancer. Now, maybe you want to build a logo empire and thus you have to hire other designers. Then you're maybe an entrepreneur and and you're, you're starting your own business to do that. Now, what Dan is doing here is he's wearing a couple different hats and I agree with you Ryan that would stress me out so he he asked at the very end well he actually said this brings up a lot of conflicting priorities Mm. well the best way to limit the conflicting priorities is to limit your priorities if you have a hundred priorities Dan all that tells me is you really have no priority as we mentioned earlier in the episode the book by uh, Greg McEwen, Essentialism, talks about how we had priority as a word. It means the first thing. What is your first thing, Dan? Because right now, if you're just hustling, maybe you're confusing busy work with productivity. And if you're confusing that, I'm just going to hustle, 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 I'm working 80 hours a week, okay, but maybe... Maybe you can get more done in 20 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Ferriss wrote the, the four-hour work week for a reason. He didn't mean you should only work four hours a week. What he meant was, I'm going to delegate all of this excess stuff, the sort of administrative things, so I can do the unnecessary things, the administrative things, f- roughly four hours a week, so I can really focus on the creativity, the freelancing or the entrepreneurship, the things that I want to focus on. And then, of course, I allocate a small portion of time to focus on the things are like okay i know i have to do a little bit of this admin junk that i don't want to have to deal with but everyone has to do it so i'm going to prioritize that for now so maybe the thing i would ask dan is what is the one thing because you can do all hundred things but you can only you you eat an elephant one bite at a time i've never eaten an elephant (laughs) dan dude you need a plan dan the man with the plan that's that's what you need uh you need a way out of this um and, w- and what I mean by that is if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a freelancer, uh, you have to set a path for yourself. And what I mean by that, like I'm just thinking if I was a freelancer, uh, I guess we are entrepreneurs technically, aren't we? Yes. So yes, I am an entrepreneur. Are, but if I, if I wanted to start freelancing, I would I would first set up what does that freelancing 
life look like? How many clients do I need? Uh, how many or how many jobs do I need? But questions like that are, is what is going to help me frame that plan. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying, what is my outcome? Right. And, and by identifying what that outcome is, because what? Is he going to get a thousand new clients? Is that going to, maybe he needs a thousand new clients, but maybe he just needs 12 really good clients, right? Yeah. I think of uh, Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly wrote, wrote the uh, blog post. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, but a uh, thousand true fans. Now that mm. number's an arbitrary number, but what he talks about in there is you don't need to, to keep uh, building and building and building. I need more and more and more clients. Mm-hmm. You need the right number of clients that are appropriate for you. And so maybe if you're, if you're a freelancer and you just need, 12 really good clients, then you can focus on creating the best thing for those 12 clients as opposed to like, hustle, hustle, hustle. I need more, 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 more clients. Dude, this, that's the most stressful thing about this question. Hustling as much as possible. Because the thing is, is like, dude, we, like you and I could hustle more. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if the end goal was to make as much money as possible, I mean, I guess we could hustle more. Yeah. But that's not our goal. It's going to reduce the quality of what we're what we're trying yeah, to put out there. Absolutely. Right? So so Dan, like, what is what is that one goal you have to get toward? Like, why are you hustling as much as? Well, I want to build up my business. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to I want to build. Great, great. But what does that business look like? Mm. And what are you working towards? I know it's so easy to get caught up in the let's just say yes and let's let's keep ourselves hustling and busy so that way uh, we're at least doing you know something with our time and maybe it'll get us somewhere and, and that'll get me and that'll pay rent this month like if that is the situation that you're in right now Dan uh, to get out of that again like you've got to come up with you got to come up with a better plan what are what are you working towards but dude I'm telling you like I was there just hustling as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, that was me in the corporate days. And it's because I didn't know what the hell I was working towards. Yeah. All I knew was that if I hustled a lot, I'd make a lot of money. And then I and then I would be happy because I was making a lot of money. And Dan's probably thinking, well, you know, as soon as I can get this business going, I'm going to be happy. But dude, if you're hustling your ass off right now, like you might be setting the wrong expectations for clients. Yeah. So, uh, and you might be producing work that is subpar and then they're not going to send you the referrals that that you want. They're not going to feel good. Maybe they're not going to come back to you as a client because Mm -hmm. you, maybe you're not hustling. Maybe the better word is you're just busy. And if you're busy, that tells me that your life is out of control. Henry David Thoreau, who said, it's not enough to be busy. The question is, what are you busy about? So Dan, what are you busy about? What are you hustling for? What is your outcome here? And if you don't know that, then yeah, you're probably going to keep hustling endlessly. You're going to keep being busy without understanding why you're busy. If you, if we are just in reaction hustle mode, uh-huh. there's never going to be a, a sign or an indicator externally that says, okay, you've hustled enough. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to get that, that letter in the mail that says, congratulations. You hustled your way to the top. <laughs> you've reached your one millionth hustle. <laughs> right, you've... <laughs> And, and, and oh, that's good. And so I think instead we need to look for instead of hustling, what is meaningful? What is what is doing something yeah. meaningful? And then last thing I'm going to say to Dan here is help other people solve their problems. That's and, yeah, the key it, to being an entrepreneur. If you if you help other people solve their problems, you won't have to hustle as much, and and you're going to feel like you're doing something meaningful in this world. Well, dude, what we've learned is like if you're adding value to people's lives, if you're if you are making 
an impact, when I say adding value, whether we are helping someone with their perspective or whether we're helping someone head on with getting rid of an item or uh, maybe we're helping them uncover their, whatever it may be, because you and I have done such uh, such an intentional job of trying to help as many people as we can with our story, with our philosophy, whatever it may be, because we've been able to add value, people want to help us. Yeah, people, dude. I remember when I when we first start, I started the mentoring, uh, the mentor, the mentoring program on our site. I had people who signed up for a year of mentoring, and then they sent me an email, and they were like, "I don't know how else to support you." So I just bought a year of mentoring, but I really don't want any mentoring. <laughs> I just want to give you 500 bucks. And that was great. Yeah. But, but, that, but that is, you know, to your point, Josh, being an entrepreneur means that you're solving people's problems. And if you can figure out a way to solve people's problems, even if you're doing it for free, mm-hmm. people will go out of their way to support you monetarily. And I think one thing that you and I have modeled here, and it's the opposite of hustling, is we focus on one major project a year. Mm. And then everything else that we do has to support that major project. So whether it's a documentary or a book or a tour or whatever it might be, everything that we do, it's not like we're just, I'm working on one thing. I'm doing one blog post this year. No, 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 no. What's the, what is the outcome, right? Mm. And then everything else I do- Serves that outcome. Serves that. And if it doesn't, what do I do? I say no. I say no to it. And we've had to say no to some really (sighs) phenomenal opportunities, but that has freed up time for us to say yes to something that is truly meaningful. Amen. All right. Erica wants to know, what are your thoughts on the tiny house movement? Do you consider this part of living a minimalist life? Of course, you can't be a minimalist unless you live in a tiny house. It has to be a, a hundred and ninety square feet or smaller. <laughs> that is what we've determined in our minimalist rule book, available now for twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> Erica, what what is what does the question isn't about what Josh and I think about the tiny house movement? Erica, what do you think about the tiny house movement? Yeah, yeah. Does it does it suit your life? Is that something that would really add a lot of value to your life? Is it something that would help out the people you live with? Maybe you live by yourself, and maybe that's why it's appealing to you. But, you know, the tiny house movement, it is, it's a tool that is very, it's, it's, uh, I want to say readily available. I mean, you can go out and find a million different blueprints. There are, uh, you know, a lot of different contracting companies that are building tiny houses now. I mean, it's a tool that we have available to us to help us live a simple life, right? to help us uh, get a home, you know, because that's part of the necessities. We have to have that. Yeah. So you can get a home. Maybe it's not, uh, you know, a thousand square foot. Maybe it is only 190 square foot, but you don't have a payment on that home Mm. and you are able to stay warm. You've got an indoor bathroom. So there are these things that we absolutely need in a tiny house and uh, it helps us to live. It can help us live a more simple life. But man, like I, Mariah and I, I mean, we're, I'm six foot. She's 5'10". Dude, we're kind of tall, lengthy people. I mean, living in a tiny house sounds... It doesn't sound the most appealing uh, to Mariah and I right now, but that doesn't mean that it's not right for you, Erica. I'm not a fan of the tiny house movement. I am a fan of the appropriately sized house movement. (laughs) And for some people, 190 square feet is appropriate. Mm. And then I'm a fan of that for them. And I'm a fan of allowing people to pursue what their preferences are. I really think it's nice. I I like what uh, our friend um, uh, Graham Hill is doing with the tiny apartments and uh, and especially in cities like New York City 
where we, you know, he's in our documentary and they have that 420 square foot apartment that sleeps seven and you can have dinner for 10 in, in the house and, and you can have a, a movie theater screening of like with eight people and all in this 400 square foot place because it's modular and things come out of the ceiling and the floor and you got a stand up desk and a cat. You have all of these things where they're using that space to the best of their ability. And I really like that because that 400 square feet feels way bigger because they have, they have some taller ceilings. It feels way bigger than 400 square feet. Yeah. Now, Bex and Ella and I live in a place that is probably 900 square feet. I don't know. I don't measure my square footage. But what I know is it's appropriately sized for us. There are mm-hmm. two bedrooms. There's a living room slash dining slash kitchen area mm-hmm. and uh, a couple bathrooms. And, and that's really it. That's what is appropriate for us. However, I, that wasn't always appropriate for me. I used to live in a, a loft a loft apartment because that is what worked for me when I was single. It was just me by myself. Let's just have this this one room that is appropriate for me. So what is appropriate today may change tomorrow. The living space that you need right now might not be the living space that you need tomorrow. I think about the empty nesters who keep... Uh, they're you know big five bedroom houses and all four kids are out of the house and all of a sudden they're like well I guess we'll just hang around here we've got way too much house and so what do they try to do they they try to cram a life into that house because mm-hmm. it's all they know as opposed to finding a new house that fits whatever their new lifestyle is and so regardless of the the square footage of your house. I would encourage people to not feel compelled to cram someone else's version of an ideal life into that square footage. Find the square footage that's right for you, but always be willing to adjust accordingly. Yeah, man. You know, even if you and I were big fans of tiny houses, and let's say we were like living the tiny house dream. Uh-huh. I mean, we would not impose that preference on other people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if you have a 3,000 square... Actually, I think the average house being built last year was 4,300 square feet or something. You know what? There are plenty of people who get immense value from something like that, and I'm not one to judge. However, if you look at the heat map study, it's in our documentary, uh, uh, on a monthly basis, we tend to use about 40% of our our households on average. So most people aren't going to get basically they're not going to use half the the space that they live in right now and so the way we can fix that is by having a more appropriately sized place to live yeah all right our next question is from Udaya. Udaya asks do you have any ideas for making simple living fun for my family and kids no it's boring yeah you don't fun is stupid get your fun out of this room right now <laughs> get the fun out of here <laughs> there will be no fun that's what i tell Ella. actually you were doing that the other day when we were we were uh <laughs> we were having dinner with the the six of us uh matt diavella was over there filming some stuff for our new documentary and uh you kept telling ella she wasn't allowed to have fun anymore and like she was antagonizing you she would like go do something and have fun hey ryan look i'm having fun right now <laughs> um and, and and so man i mean i don't really understand the the question ideas for to making simple living fun for family and kids the whole reason that i've embraced living a minimalist life or simple living mm-hmm. 
is so I get the stuff out of the way that wasn't adding value to my life so I could enjoy life more. Now that said, I don't I don't look for, I don't constantly look for fun. I'm not the type of person who's going out and I'm going to see what I can do for fun today. Right. But I do enjoy my life. Now Ryan, you do a whole lot of activities that I I mean you were surfing yesterday. You do a bunch of stuff for fun now that maybe you couldn't do when you were stuck working 80 hours a right. week trying to amass the the trophies to show everyone else you were successful yeah yeah no i i i think i think you die a um man if you're trying to make this fun for your kids like kids it doesn't take much for a kid to have fun mm-hmm. um makes me think about that question about the uh how do you you know save money on entertainment to have it's like kids do not need a bunch of things mm-hmm. they don't need you to spend a bunch of money going to the ocean is free here right in order for, in order for kids to have fun so like for me um dude i know kids uh, get really excited about helping other kids. Oh yeah. So um, if you are someone who has children and you want to get them really excited about uh, simplifying or minimalism, I mean, I wouldn't use either of those words with, especially with like a five-year-old like Ella. Right. But what you can do is uh, you can start instilling habits in them. Like, hey, um, you've got a lot of toys. This toy box is overflowing, and there are some toys in here that you don't play with. There are some kids out there in the world who have no toys. How would you like to help those kids out? Like that is how you're really going to uh, help kids get into that 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 spirit of of minimizing, I guess. Yeah, and giving the the spirit of giving. Yeah, and and I, the thing that I've realized with Ella when when she gives, she also gets from that. It's that in a way, it's a sort of instant gratification, not mm-hmm. just gratifying the needs of others, but gratifying her own desire we all have a desire to give and it's especially pronounced in in kids they they want to share sometimes they want to overshare mm-hmm. like with the food on her plate she's constantly trying to feed me food that she doesn't like on her plate mm-hmm. but part of that is uh, in the spirit of of giving and so yeah I, I don't use the words i mean the only time that ella uses the word minimalism or minimalist is when she does the intro to our youtube videos and she actually you know she's the minimists and and you know, Dave did a little graphic for that. But otherwise, we don't talk about minimalism. Mm-hmm. We show it through the actions as opposed to these sort of words, these definitions. Yes, we all need to have a common language, mm-hmm. but it's much more important to have common actions if we want to get somewhere. Yeah, and I could see where like gamifying, you know, some things, maybe that would cr- create or spark a little bit more interest. Like when I think about the 30-day minimalism game, I mean, you know, like you were talking about earlier, man, decluttering is kind of boring, but if you kind of put this challenge behind it and you have yeah. someone else that you're approaching this challenge with, um, it does gamify it and it does make it a little bit more fun. But, you know, trying to gamify everything, um, that, that might be setting up the wrong expectation, uh, not just for your kids, but your for your family members too, because, you know, minimalism or simplicity, it ain't easy. Right. It's just simple. Right. And, and uh, you know, trying to make simplicity look super easy or super fun, well, that's just uh, that's just not the right attitude towards uh, simplifying, I think. Yeah, there are certain things you can do that will help you get additional traction. Mm-hmm. But for me, if you want to have more fun, then I mean, think about when are kids having the most fun? It's usually at a playground, right? Mm-hmm. Think about a yeah. bunch of kids going to a playground. I take Ella to the playground. Now, why do they have fun there? It's because they have what they need to have fun. Now, what if I put a bunch of obstacles on the playground, a bunch of spikes sticking up everywhere, or just a bunch of clutter, or I, I, I tip over the, the, the swing set or whatever? 
if there are things in the way of the fun, it's going to be less fun.、Mm. And so minimalism has been a way for me to get rid of that excess stuff to make room for the fun, to make room for enjoying life. All, All right. right, man. You ready for Denzel's question? Let's get. It. I'm pretty sure it's Denzel Washington who wrote this in. All right, Denzel wants to know: Is it possible to be a minimalist as a teenager? You know what? Our audience before our documentary came out skewed to be more our age. You know, you and I are 37. Well, you're almost 37. And、um, how dare you? <laughs> and、uh, you know, a lot of people in our audience were you know 35 to 55 years old. And since our documentary came out, especially since we're doing more stuff on YouTube, I've noticed a lot of people showing up to our events who are in college or are in high school. Yeah, and we're seeing more and more people who are young who are being influenced because they're realizing the perils of their parents' ways of living. I, mean, I, I wish I would have known about minimalism in high school, man. Or you I, were a teenager. Well, yeah, I wish. Yeah, I wish I would have. Well, knowing about it and connecting with it the way I do are two separate things, right? But I wish I knew about it and connected、uh, with it the way I do now. Because in high school, man, there are so many pressures. Whether it's wearing the right, you know, pair of shoes or pair of jeans. I mean, my dad would never let me wear a pair of Janko jeans, but I wanted them so bad in high school. <laughs> Why wouldn't he let you wear them? Because they were worldly, and that's. Aren't Levi's worldly too? Yeah, dude.、Uh, that's that's a whole other conversation, man. <laughs> worldly basically means that you're not a Jehovah's Witness,、um, and and yes, those were too worldly. It looked worldly, but anyway,、uh, the pressures though of having, you know, not just the right.、Um, The right、uh, clothing, but listening to the you know I was made sure that I was a fan of the right、uh, you know of the right uh, uh, band or, or or group or singer song whatever man like there are all these pressures that we have in high school these preferences really、mm-hmm. that are forced on us other people's preferences yeah so they're forced on us through、uh, you know. But the kids that that、uh, they were forced on me through the kids I went to school with,、mm-hmm. they were also forced on me through advertisements, media, yeah, through the media. So having all of this pressure of other people's preferences, minimalism would have been great to help me filter through all those preferences to really figure out what it was that would have added value to my life as a teenager. Because, dude, my, what, I'm so glad I'm not in high school anymore, dude. <sighs> I like some people look back like, man, I really miss this high school. I do not miss high school. No, I do not miss being. Confused. I do not miss、uh, not being able to decide on my own preferences, but I do like to think that if I again would have connected with minimalism like I do now, that maybe it would have been a little bit better for me, a little bit less hectic. I agree. I, I think that when I think about you know the 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 high school years and and my preferences and. They were often dictated by other people's expectations, but guess what? That also happened in my twenties, and it would have continued to happen in my thirties, in my forties, in my fifties. Other people's expectations.、Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from a lot of our events that we're going out, when these teenagers are showing up, it used to be that like parents were dragging their teenagers to our events, and now we have teenagers dragging their parents to the event. In fact, our event in Louisville recently.、Um, We were we were doing the, the the VIP event beforehand, where we give, have like a little forty five minute discussion with a, a small group of twenty to fifty people who who have the best seats in the house, basically. And、um, we we're just having this conversation. I'm giving this really good talk about you know, minimalism. I feel really good about. Also, I turn around and my 
former boss is there jeff moore he hired me when i was 18 years old he's the first person to hire me in a telecom and <laughs> man i about crapped my pants like i was like oh my goodness here's the guy who, you know ruined my life for 12 years <laughs> he didn't actually actually what jeff did was he instilled some serious extroversion uh, skills in me mm. because i was such a shy extreme introvert that without him taking me on board and forcing me to talk to people via sales and retail sales and door-to-door -door sales and all this other stuff, I would not have been able to communicate with people the way that I do now because mm -hmm. I was so introverted. There's no way I would have been able to break the spell on my own. I needed that push at first. And so the push for me was like, was the full immersion into that. And he helped me do that. And afterward we were talking and it was his 22 year old daughter, Emily who who dragged him there from Cincinnati down to Louisville to come to our event and and you know she had found us when she was in college and watched a documentary and read the books and she was talking to him about our books and our blog and our podcast and he's like you really know these guys like and he brought me some old pictures of me when I was 18 I had my head shaved and um, I was a mess I was wearing a suit I looked like a like a, a preacher from <laughs> Did you put any of those on Instagram? No, uh, I, I brought the pictures home though, so I probably should. That'd be good. That would be funny. I'll give I'll give them to Jess for um, Throwback, uh, th Throwback Thursday. Thursday Instagram stories. She'll <laughs> she'll enjoy that. But my whole point is, it used to would back in the day would have been someone like Jeff bringing his daughter there and saying, "See, you can be a minimalist too." And now what I'm seeing are people like Emily, who are showing their parents like, "Hey, I know you've lived this one way, and I'm not telling you to change your life." What I'm telling you is we can always simplify. And for me, that's the number one lesson of minimalism. No matter where you are age-wise, you could be young or old, but no matter where you are in the socioeconomic ladder, rich or poor, you and I have been both and we've been in between. Mm. No matter where you are with respect to your age, your socioeconomic status, your social class, no matter where you are geographically, uh, no matter what your ethnicity is, we see people from all walks of life at our, at our events. Minimalism really applies to one group of people, people who are dissatisfied with whatever the status quo is, mm. and they want to make a change. They want to simplify. And so... If you're a teenager and you're unhappy with what the status quo is, then yes. But also if you're a senior citizen and you're unhappy with what the status quo is, then yes, I think minimalism can apply to you. If you're anyone in between and you're unhappy with where the status quo is in your life, then yes, then maybe simplifying a little bit is right for you. Yeah, man. I think also about uh, if you're, you know, if you're overwhelmed because that, that would, those things certainly would overwhelm one and dude, I think about one of the most overwhelming times in my life. It was as a teenager, man. Absolutely, man. All right. Our next question is from Lisa. Lisa says, do you look to other cultures for inspiration on simple living? And if so, which cultures? <laughs> dude, this is America. We, we, America does not have a culture. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we, have, we, we have to steal other people's cultures. <laughs> well, it's, it's weird. We, we talk about American culture, but really it is. You know, we, we, we often refer to America as a melting pot, but I think as more of a, a plate of with all these different side dishes and yeah. all of these side dishes are, are different cultures. And I actually tend not to look at cultures. I tend to look at individuals. Mm. And, and I, because that's a lot more important to me because I don't look at a, a 
Japanese culture or the Swedish culture. I mean, you, you can say that, that uh, a lot of minimalism has been inspired by, by both cultures, or maybe it's the simple living culture of the 60s or the, then the rebirth of that in the 1990s. Or maybe you, you can talk about other you know, Zen Buddhist culture. But to me, those are less appealing than looking at individual examples of people who have changed their lives. And let me tell you why. I, I see individuals, like when we first embraced minimalism, I didn't say, well, here is Courtney Carver who lives in the Salt Lake City culture. No, it was Courtney Carver who was a 40-year-old mother. She had a teenage daughter. It was a specific example, a specific recipe. Mm. Uh, then I looked at Colin Wright, who was a 24-year-old traveler. I didn't say, well, here is the the Midwestern white guy culture. No, because he doesn't represent most white guys in the Midwest. He's so different from most white guys in the Midwest. And so when, I, I, when I look at, I think, I, there's this huge failure of identity politics of lump, lumping people into these different buckets. Mm. But I think as individuals, we are all different. I mean, I put up a uh, a picture of me and, and my brother. He came to our, our Louisville event. Um, and it was the first time he, I asked him, Is, have you been to Louisville recently? He's like, man, I haven't been to Louisville since you and I went to a Master P concert when we were 14 years old. Make him old. say, uh. <laughs> yeah. I remember being at that concert. I, there must have been 2,000 people there. And I was the only white boy in the entire... <laughs> I was the front row Master P concert. I feel like that was your entire like high school life, dude. You were, you were the only white kid in a lot of situations. Yeah, but I didn't look at it as like, well, I'm immersed in black culture. Right, right, like, right, right. In fact, I put a picture of me and, and Jerome, my brother, on Instagram and... and I said, if you can't tell us apart, I'm the one on the left. Now, we couldn't look more different. He probably weighs 100 pounds more than me, and he's still built like a giant brick, but also he's several shades darker than I am. But I don't look to Jerome and say, well, talk to me about black culture. Mm -hmm. I said, what can I learn from from you as an individual? I said it with you, Ryan. I'm like, uh, let me, what is Greco-American culture? I'm going to look to Mr. Nicodemus here. <laughs> no, I can learn from you as an individual. Yeah. I don't want to learn from white women. I don't want to learn from black men. I don't want to learn from this culture or that culture so much as I want to learn from an individual who might be from that culture. Because no matter what culture we're looking at, there are good people, there are bad people, there are great examples, there are terrible examples of how to live a meaningful life. Life. And I want to look at the good examples from any culture and see how I can improve my own life so I can live my most meaningful life. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I, I do look at Japanese culture a little bit. Um, I mean, being over there in Tokyo last year, God, it's hard to believe it's been over a year uh, since Mariah and I were over there. But, dude, the functionality, like the, the architecture, mm -hmm. and like they're forced into kind of being, uh, you know, minimalists or they're forced into simple living in Tokyo, especially. I mean, it's like five New York cities. It's insane how big it is. It is. And there's so many people, uh, they have to make the most out of the space that they have and they have done an amazing job. So there are certain things that like when I go to different countries and I'm immersed in different cultures that I certainly um, admire and uh, uh, want to imitate. Like I think about when Mariah and I finally... Uh, build a, I don't think we'll build a tiny home. We'll build like a, I call it a simple home because, mm -hmm. you know, it'll be, it'll be bigger than 90 square feet, but less than 9,000 square feet. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> between. Somewhere between. More towards the 90 than the <laughs> 9,000. But uh, my point is, is that I think about um, that day when we sit down to like kind of 
you know, go over the blueprints or to map this out, what that house is going to look like. And yeah, dude, like I'm totally going to look at the way, uh, things that I remember and experienced while I was in Japan. Um, dude, when I think about, uh, certain things that I own, like a, uh, I think, yeah, the Caflano, the, the, um, like pour over kit that I had recommended a few shows ago. Yeah. The coffee travel kit thing. Um, that is German engineered. Uh-huh. There are, there are a few other things that are um, German at Makita. The sunglasses, those are German engineered. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things um, that I have that I look at. I'm like, yeah, like this is German made. I mean, is it part of German's culture to be good engineers? I, I don't know, man. But my point is, is like, yes, there are certainly things from other countries that I admire and uh, yeah, want to want to mimic the engineering stuff, man. Like I just love, I do love very well engineered things. Yeah, but well designed, and and the thing yes. that, we, that we all know is you don't have to be German or Japanese to be part of, of good design. Right. And there are there are ingredients we can get from those cultures. I, I think about when we lived in Montana for a while, five years. Um, I would often sauna with uh, several people um, from the local Indian tribe, the Blackfoot tribe, and uh, they would just go to the same sauna as me and. And I learned quite a bit from those individuals. Now, I can't speak for the whole tribe, I mean, nor would I ever try to, but I can speak when when I would speak to an individual and they would impart a particular lesson on me. Now, part of that might be a lesson from their culture and part of it might just be a, a lesson from that individual. And I try not to parse them out as much as opposed to say, wow, Tom taught me this as right. opposed to, well, the Blackfoot Indians, they are the ones who imparted this wisdom on me. I got that from someone who was in that culture, but ultimately I got it from Tom. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Claire. Claire asks, how do you maintain simple living without the fear of missing out? Oh, dude. Well, I just don't miss out on anything anymore. <laughs> the fear of missing out is such a, every time I catch myself doing that now, mm. like I just realize how if I'm, oh, uh, oh, I'm doing this one thing. I could be doing this other thing there are 99.9% of things that I could be doing with my moment yes. that I'm missing out on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what it comes down to for me is, am I making the best use of my time for what living a meaningful life means for me? So am I, uh, am I recording a podcast right now? Yes, I am. Right. And, uh, do I fear that I'm missing out, you know, time with Mariah or maybe I could be surfing today. In fact, I did have an opportunity to go surfing today and I could have went surfing today if we didn't have this podcast recording, but am I going to sit here and get upset about it? No, because right now we're recording a podcast. This serves my meaningful life. Mm. This is contributing towards me living a meaningful life. So as long as the, the things that I do in my life contribute towards that, I have, I've kind of accepted the things that, uh, that I'm missing out on. Hmm. So I guess maybe another way to like, there's a litmus test that I could, you know, probably use. It's like, can I look in the mirror and be satisfied with the way I have used my time? And if it isn't, then I've got to ask myself, okay, why am I upset with the way I use my time? And then correct from there. Yeah. And and I think that's what's important about that is you're constantly evaluating and not striving for perfection. Mm -hmm. What you're striving for is how do I improve? You're striving for improvement. Mm. Here's the truth. You are missing out. You're missing out on virtually 
everything. Before you were born, you missed out on everything that happened the 13.7 billion years before you were born. You missed out on all of it. And after you die, you're going to miss out on everything that happens here on earth after you are dead. And in between, between birth and death, you're still going to miss out on functionally 100% of everything that you're not doing right here, right now. So how do I overcome that? I ask myself one question. Is this the best use of this time? I often ask that question with my money. Is this the best use of this money? Because maybe I'm going to buy something that will add value to my life. But is it the best use of that money? And if it's not, maybe I bought something and it wasn't the best use of that money. I don't have to regret it forever. I can feel that twinge of pain without suffering long term. Mm -hmm. And I can say, you know what? That was a poor decision that I made with that money. Let me learn from that so I don't make a similar decision in the future. And so are you going to miss out? You're damn right you are, but that's okay. Make sure that what you're doing right now is the best use of that time, and then you won't be worried about missing out on the other things that aren't as good of a use of your time anyway. Absolutely. All right, Logan asks, does living a simple life lead to an uninteresting life? I, I mean, it can, I guess. Man, so I can living a maximalist life. That can also lead to an uninteresting life. So can living a medium life. That could also lead to an uninteresting life. And somewhere between medium and simple, that could also lead to an uninteresting life. <laughs> what is what is what is uninteresting though? Because what is interesting to me, Ryan, is usually uninteresting to you. I know with you and I, we have radically different personalities. Right, like the joke is, is like, man, I really love that movie, Josh, but you know what? Don't watch it. It's way too much fun for you. Yeah, yeah, and I, or I'll be like, hey, man, I, I just watched this movie. It was so good, but you will definitely think it's boring <laughs> right. as hell. It's too boring for you to watch, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the truth is, that, like, different things interest me because we have different interests. And that's okay. Yeah. I don't want to project my interest onto you. Well, you know what, Ryan? You should be interested in reading all of David Foster Wallace's books. Could you books. imagine if every single one of all eight or seven billion people of us, probably approaching eight billion people of us on the planet, could you imagine if we all had the same exact preferences? Dude, no. it'd be miserable. No. Oh. We like we go to a movie and like wouldn't be able to get a ticket because everyone would be at the same movie, right? I we mean, wouldn't be able to go to a restaurant because everyone would be at that same restaurant. It would, yeah, it would be, it would, it would actually remove all the interest. It would yeah. make life if we were all interested in the same thing. It would remove the variety, and you know what makes life interesting? Variety, mm. a change of pace because we don't want to do the same thing over and over and over groundhog day is what i think of that's not interesting that's that's crazy making yeah i mean i love that movie (laughs) but living that life yes yeah and and so um i think back though i think back to my 20s it is such an unremarkable life. Mm. I had climbed my way to middle middle management. I was a director of God. operations for blah, 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 blah. Look at the title on my business card. Look yeah. at my Lexus. I'm driving from my box house in my box to my box office so I can eat my box lunch. And I'll heat it up in this microwave box. Who cares about that? It's not interesting. In fact, I wrote fiction throughout most of my 20s. Mm. Because I didn't have anything interesting to write about my own life. My life was not interesting. 
And when I simplified, there was something interesting about that. Do you know why? Because my life was finally different. It was no longer part of the status quo. Mm -hmm. It required some sacrifice, sure. But you know what I made up for with that sacrifice? I lived a life that was far more interesting to me than this template I had been sold that I didn't find interesting at all, man. Yeah, dude. All right, we got one more question. Well, one more question before the lightning round. Yeah, before the lightning round. We got one from Brittany. She wants to know, how can I slow down and enjoy life? Well, everyone around me is so busy. Man, I think about, sometimes we have to, this is a pithy answer for you. You could probably put this in the podcast, Sean. If you're listening to this, wherever you are, actually, podcast Sean is on vacation, right? He's over at Glacier. And Who uh, said podcast Sean could take a vacation? <laughs> <laughs> I never approved that. You know what? Uh, we're really grateful for you, Podcast Sean. Thank you for doing all that you do. And uh, yeah, we're glad that you are, are enjoying the time with your family. Just don't ever let it happen again. <laughs> um, I think about this though, um, Ryan, uh, and you could put this as a minimal maxim maybe. Sometimes you have to slow down to avoid going too far. Yeah. When When... We're just speeding along, not paying attention, and the muscle memory is sort of kicking in. Have you ever done this where like you've moved and then you accidentally drive to the old house that you lived at? Oh yeah, dude. Or maybe you changed offices when I mean, you managed a bunch of different retail stores and you accidentally drive to like the Centerville yeah. store even though you're managing the Middletown store or something. And you you end up there or you're almost there, or whatever, and you're like, What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> It's because I didn't slow down. And when you don't slow down, you drive too far. You go too far. Mm. And yeah, I I get it that sometimes if you slow down, it can feel like the world is just blurring all around you. You look at those those scenes that are sort of sped up in movies. You do the time lapse. Someone's walking through. Um, I was on an airplane recently and whatever Liam Neeson movie, what's the one where he's on the train taken on a train? I think it's called, um, are you messing with me? <laughs> no, it's, I'm pretty sure it was it's pretty, called taken on a train. Sure. It was the commuter, which is, it's basically taken on a train. Um, <laughs> cause you know, the taken. Yes, movie. I know. It's the same thing. Oh my God. Every right. Liam Neeson movie. But there's a scene where he's walking through like grand central station and like, He's walk. It's a like a time lapse of his day after day after day. Everyone's just speeding past, like, and that's what life can feel like when you slow down. Mm. Yes, people are going to pass you by, but they're not getting where you want to go. They are going somewhere else. Someone else's busy is not going to get you where you want to go. Man, it's funny because like me watching everyone. Well, not everyone, but I mean, when I see someone busy, uh huh. It doesn't make me want to be busy. It just makes me appreciate having slowed down. Oh, yeah. It, 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 we talked about the hustling thing earlier when someone yeah. asked a question about hustling. And you're like, man, this stresses me out. Seeing everyone else busy all the time. Go, 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 go. Hurry, hurry. Get things done. I don't want to do that. Once you've mm. actually slowed down. Yeah. Also, remember this. There's a chapter in, in our book, uh, Everything That Remains. My favorite thing we've ever written. It's called strong moves slow. Mm. So keep that in mind too. Yeah. The the weak often are just boom, boom, boom. And I was actually weak. I was allowing other people to dictate my schedule, to dictate my to-do list, to dictate my inbox, to dictate my life. Mm. And in doing so, I was weak because I was like, if you inflate a balloon and just let it go, 
the side of the room, that side of the room, here, there, there. It's busy. That balloon is busy. Yeah. But it's not going anywhere intentionally. Mm. It's just going and going and going. And that's busyness to me. But when I slow down, it strengthens my movements mm-hmm. because I'm going somewhere deliberately. Yeah. And, and like you said, man, letting someone else dictate your schedule, especially a busy person, dictate your schedule. God, that is, that is miserable. I mean, in the corporate world, we were constantly putting out fires. Mm. And what's nice now is, well, other people's emergencies, they're not necessarily mine. Because most emergencies aren't. And I think that's important to realize. Most things in the moment seem like a a house fire, right? I, I read this thing from Seth Godin. I think it came out this morning, right? I don't know if you read it. But he talked about how um, a volunteer firefighter sees a fire much differently from a person who's trapped in a burning building. Right. The volunteer firefighter seeks that out because they want to solve the problem. They're prepared for it. Mm-hmm. They've moved slow up until that point. They're ready for it. The person in the burning building is panicked. And I spent most of my 20s in a burning building, a metaphorical yeah. emergency always, all the time. I could barely come up for air because I was just gasping, flailing, help, help, help. I need to move on to the next emergency. And so... I think, Brittany, the thing you can do is practice saying no. Say no to something today. Say no to something else tomorrow. Say no more frequently to those things that are emergencies because just because it's someone else's emergency, it doesn't mean it has to be your emergency. Just say no. All right, y'all, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or a tip about simple living, including advice for any of the folks who asked us a question today, then leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com, where are our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And stay tuned to the end of this week's podcast episode for this week's listener comments and tips. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Indeed we do. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalists during the lightning round. This is where Ryan and I each do our best to answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And now you can find all of our quotes in one place thanks to our good friend friend Jessica Lynn Williams over at minimalmaxims.com. Our first lightning round question is from Eve. What are some tips for living a simple life while working, going to school, and taking care of two happy kids? Well, here's the, here's my pithy answer, and then let's talk about it, Ryan. Okay. As the chaos grows, so does the need to simplify. Yeah, man. Here, here, here's the thing. So it's, it's harder to... to it's harder to simplify a more complex life, right? Mm. If you're if you're a monk, simplifying is already there, right? Mm-hmm. You've already simplified. It's not a complected life. It is already simple. But the more complex your life, the harder it is to simplify. But the more complex your life, 
the more necessary it is to simplify because you're going to get far more benefits from the simplifying. Uh, I learned this from our friend Joshua Becker, who has a book called Clutter Free with Kids. He also has a great book called The More of Less. We'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. He's also in our documentary. And what I learned from him is I didn't have kids at the time, but he had two kids. And, and he said, yes, of course it was harder for my, simple, my, my, my family to simplify than it would have been for just me to simplify. Mm -hmm. Because it requires working together, getting us all on the same page, and it's so much harder as a family. But it's so much more important as a family. Yeah. All right, my simple answer is this. In order to stay focused with a full plate, because Eve, that's what you got right now. You have Mm -hmm. a very full plate. In order to stay focused with a full plate, one must learn the art of saying no. Like you were saying earlier. It is an art, man, when, when you, when you talk about it. Because it's not just saying no to everything. And there is not, and the reason it's not a science of saying no, it's like, well, here's the algorithm. Here are the things you should say no to. Yeah. No, there's a delicate... I mean, there are some things that are obvious you say no to. I'm like, hey, Ryan, you want some heroin during this podcast? Sure. <laughs> Wait, Wait a minute. minute. <laughs> Ryan, you need to- Wait, is that with an E or not an E? <laughs> <laughs> But you want some heroin and some E during this podcast? <laughs> no, dude. Like you were, like you were just saying, man. Uh, it is, it is important to say no, especially when everyone else is so busy. And when you have a full plate, when you are working, when you're going to school, when you're taking care of kids, like those have to be your priorities. And you've got to say no to to most things that don't serve those priorities Mm. so it's it's it is i think human nature for a lot of people to just want to say yes to everything Mm. we just want to help we just want to say yes we're going to help you move yes we'll come over and help you paint uh yes you can borrow my car but when we say yes to everyone else but we're telling ourselves no in order to do so man that is uh well, that's one way to make yourself really, really busy. Yeah, that's a <laughs> recipe for chaos. Too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and talk about not feeling fulfillment or purpose, because if you're empty, you don't really have enough to give when you need to give, when giving is the most important. If you don't take care of yourself first by saying no to these excess things, you're never going to be able to say yes to what's truly important. Yes, indeed. Crystal. How can you make house cleaning a simpler process? Just throw away everything. <laughs> Why do you even have stuff in your house? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It did used to take me like all day to clean my house, right? Yeah. Well, back in, in my Lotus eating 20s, I had, I just had a lot of stuff. And along with that stuff, the cost of that stuff is also having to store the stuff and clean the stuff, take care of the stuff, dust off the stuff, polish the stuff. And, well, here's my pithy answer. The fewer things you own, the fewer things you have to clean. That may sound overly simplistic, and it may sound, like, so obvious, but we don't realize, like, when you own considerably less stuff, you actually have considerably less to clean. It's so, so, so much easier for me to to clean my home now. Now, here's the other thing. I was a well planned hoarder i had an organized stuff so we often confuse organizing with decluttering they are not the same thing if you own 
300,000 items and they're all organized really well, you still have to clean all those damn things. And so getting rid of them helps you have fewer things to take care of. Yeah, man. Uh, my, my answer is right along the same lines as yours. Cleaning's easier for minimalists. That's just the less you own, the less you have to clean. I, I got maybe a couple tips that might help you out, Crystal. Um, clean often. Uh, if you are cleaning once a month, it actually will take you longer than if maybe you were cleaning like two or three times a month. Like I yeah. know for me, um, it's like if I let the, if Mariah and I let the the floor go unvacuumed, unmopped, it, and we do that for a month, yeah. it takes us like, you know, eight, nine, 10 buckets of water. It becomes a whole process. Yeah, yeah, it becomes a whole process. Rather than if like on a daily basis, like Mariah, she'll do some spot uh, vacuuming on the floor and then she'll clean it, I think, once once a week, maybe once every other week. But my point is, is that because we stay on top of it uh, pretty often, mm-hmm. that, you know, and instead of it taking nine buckets of water to clean the floor, she can get it done in two buckets of water. My mom taught me this, and it's, I think, one of the reasons I've been organized for a long time. But uh, clean as you go, right? I mean, that yeah. was the thing for me. Like, even when you're, like, especially when you're making dinner at night, like, uh, and, and Beck's like doesn't always she's not on the same page as me with this so i'm the one who's willing to step up and clean as we go mm-hmm. as opposed to having 70 dishes at the end of the night not that we that we don't own 70 dishes but you yeah. get what i'm saying like yeah no you taught me that dude. pans and just let me clean this plate off real quick and then it's just one thing and it's gone and you don't have that pile at the end of the meal or at the end of the day and it's much easier to deal with yeah dude i mean when we were living together uh, I saw you doing that where it's like, yeah, we, we would eat, you'd have your dirty plate and then like, it wouldn't just sit in the sink, dude. Like you'd wash it and put it in the rack. Always. And before that, dude, like I would just, you know, I just would stack dishes in the sink mm. and then eventually have a huge stack of dishes mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, I would go to grab a dish and like realizing they're all dirty. And then that was my indicator. Like, oh, now I have to clean. Then I got to spend 30, 45 minutes cleaning a stack of dishes oh and by the way since they've been sitting there for you know a few days now it's even harder to clean because things have dried and crusted yeah. to the plates where when you wash something right after you're done mm. it is so much easier than than yeah dealing with that that huge stack the other thing i'll the other tip i'll give dude which you also taught me and i think we talked about this in like episode 20 or so i mean it was it was a long time ago squeegees yeah. dude squeegeeing the bathroom i had no That's idea. So helpful. Oh my god! So like, I had a house guest who, uh, when when Mariah and I were gone um, in Australia, when 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 we were on tour in Australia, we had a house guest come and and uh, take care of the house, take care of the cat. And one of my requests was, look, I know this is weird, but please squeegee the shower when you're done with it. It makes it so much easier on us to clean the bathtub, to clean the bathroom mm-hmm. when we've been squeegeeing because you don't have to sit there and get the magic eraser and scrub shit off. Like you can literally just like take a rag and, and it's clean. It's yes. It cleans up really, really nicely. So much easier. So what they did is they, they did, they squeegeed all the shower walls, but they not once squeegeed the tub. Oh. And dude, we got back after a month of not squeegeeing the tub and it was like, so much faster elbow grease man like getting that cl- the getting that tub clean well here's the other thing with that there's like a psychological clutter that comes along with that if you let the dishes pile up for four days or you let the the, the soap scum pile up for you know four weeks there's something there where you're like oh i gotta have to now i'm gonna have to deal with that and it's just sort of weighing there occasionally in the back of your mind 
And you can remove that psychological clutter by just taking a moment and, and, and cleaning, whether you're squeegeeing, doing the dishes, mopping the floor, whatever it is. It's much easier to spend the five minutes now than spending the five hours a month from now and allowing it to weigh on your mind that entire time in between. P.S. Ryan, we have one more question. Oh, yeah? How does simple living help you live a life without any regrets? <laughs> so, Ryan, I wanted, what I want to talk to you about with this is uh, my past regrets, my current regrets, and also something my future regrets. But if you want our answer to that question, then you can listen to this week's Postscript episode over at the Minimalist Private Podcast, available exclusively for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to support our show and help keep this podcast 100% advertisement-free, then head on over to theminimalists.com slash support. Uh, in addition to our weekly Postscript episodes, the Minimalist private podcast feed includes our monthly Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events, and the entire back catalog of our past private episodes. And once you become a supporter, you'll receive a personal link to our private podcast feed so it plays in your normal podcast player. I think that's one of the biggest things. You don't have to get on some, you know, you don't have to log on to Internet Explorer or Netscape or whatever you're using these days. <laughs> Do you still use Internet Explorer? I use Netscape still. <laughs> <laughs> I still use AOL, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it shows up right, however you listen to this podcast, it shows up right there in your podcast player. And as a Patreon supporter, you also receive access to our monthly live stream videos, as well as first access to tickets to all of our live events before those tickets are available to the general public, so you can get the best seats in the house. And you can find all the details and all the good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. And here is a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. The way we've eliminated uh, the majority of our regrets, and we've also avoided future regrets, is by living a life that is congruent with the person that you want to be. And it doesn't mean you're not going to have any regrets. It means that by living a meaningful life, by getting the excess out of the way and focusing on what's truly important, you drastically reduce the amount of regrets that you're going to experience in the future. And if you do experience them, I think they're going to be so significantly smaller because it's like, oh, yeah, I really wish that, you know, we would have done four cities instead of three on the Simply Southern Tour or whatever it might be. Where you're like, yeah, but okay, I can live with that. They're regrets that are much easier to live with. And those type of regrets aren't really regrets. They're just lessons that you apply to the future anyway. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where Ryan and I talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. I've been listening to this album, and uh, we were just talking about high school a moment ago and, and the pressure of being a high school kid. And I found myself listening to, I mean, music is, is tends to be... Uh, Young people make the good music these days. They dictate the sort of music culture of what's going on in music, right? Yeah. And there's this gal, um, her stage name is uh, Snail Mail, and she has a new album out called Lush. And she was born after we graduated high school, right? She was born in 99. <laughs> so, yes, we were getting old, but her music is so... 
is beautiful. The writing is beautiful. It's sort of like f- singer-songwriter or folk rock. I don't know how you would describe it. Um, I'm going to see her in concert relatively soon as well. But uh, she has a new album out called Lush, and I strongly recommend it. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. There's just something about it. It's, it's, she's, what, 19, I guess? It's like teenage angst but in a way that is poetic and beautiful and man i think you will enjoy the album i'll put it on when i'm cleaning the house as a matter of fact uh i'll just put it on and and it's uh, it just sounds really good good man. cleaning music yeah and it was funny we were, we were sitting down with uh, austin hartley leonard last week when we were in uh nashville and he's like i'm approaching 40 and he's like every time i want to like sit down and make music i'm thinking like I should probably do something that's going to help, you know, that, that's going to uh, do something for my family that, that is beneficial for my entire family. And so I can't imagine sitting down and working on the next demo for my next album or something. And I think 19 year olds just aren't worried about that. And that's why they, I mean, I, I listen to some of Austin Hartley Leonard's music from when he was, you know, 25 or whatever, 29. And it's some of the best music I've ever heard. But he wasn't worried about, you know, maintaining you know, the lifestyle for his family and making sure they have pampers and stuff. And I think that's why 19-year-olds make some of the best music out there. Dude, 19-year-olds were born in 1999. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> what, You're Ryan, so old, dude. Look Ryan, at you. What's been adding value to your life lately? <laughs> uh, so Mariah and I were moving uh, to a new place. Um I'm really psyched, dude. It's, uh, we have, uh, it's, it's a one bedroom, one bathroom, about 900 square foot with views for days. Mm. Like it's one thing about living in LA, man. It is like, it is not the Montana views that I was used to waking up to all the time. But, uh, I think actually the, the, what we're getting ready to move into is even, it's even a nicer view than what we had in Montana. Oh my gosh. What's funny is we were just talking about what is appropriate for me and you, like, it, part of that has to do with preferences. Like, yeah. that's not even in my top ten things of looking for an apartment. Is how good are the views? Mm. But for you, it's like number one on your list. And so it's really important to realize, like, don't f- don't try to adopt someone else's preferences because you're going to end up in a space that is not appropriate for you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, during this move, we've had to get some cardboard boxes, and dude, use cardboard boxes use cardboard boxes.com uh it's great man they have recycled boxes or you know pre-used boxes it's very um it's as you know i feel like as environmentally friendly as you can get with purchasing new boxes to me yeah yeah and, and they're they're very gently used they tend to be i've, I've used them uh, yeah. w- once or twice before and yeah. And what's nice is they, they when they send them to you, they're often from other stores, and they mm-hmm. just use boxes once. Or sometimes a store, you know, ordered two hundred boxes, and they only ended up using one hundred and fifty. So they have fifty new boxes still sitting around that mm-hmm. they otherwise would have just thrown out. And so in many cases, you're getting brand new boxes. Yeah. So it's worked out really well for Mariah and I. Um, it's yeah. I mean, if you're moving and you wanna you wanna buy some like pre-used cardboard boxes, uh, it's it's really really convenient. I mean, I. Like was I had started like walking around and asking, like the gas station across the street, uh, the, the liquor store down the street. Uh, that's about the only two places I felt like they would have some boxes. Yeah, and, and then I realized like, wait a minute, for like twenty five bucks, 
I can just go get some boxes. I don't have to worry about and it. And not spend three hours trying to track some boxes down. Yeah, it worked out really well. Uh, yeah. Podcast, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. All right, let's move on to right here, right now. So we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. As promised, we have a lot going on uh, this month, but we're not busy. We've been focused on some really important things. We just finished up the Simply Southern tour. Dude, I am like, I, that was one of my favorite tours, man. It was, uh, It was just incredible, not only because... We went to the South, which I love going to the South, man. That Southern hospitality. Yes. It's funny, man. Like, it, there truly is, like, a different attitude in the South. And it's uh, I, I, just a lot of awesome people. But so not only just because of the, you know, the, 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 the Southern hospitality, but also being with Ramsey's team and and having these experts on stage with us talking about finances, like... Yeah, I wish I was the finances guy. I wish that like people they could just say, "Yeah, Nicodemus, you got money that you need to put somewhere. Go talk to that. He knows exactly the right investments. He knows exactly the stocks you should buy, the index funds you should." I am not the money guy, dude. Yeah. I mean, I got some good advice, but all the advice I have, I have stolen from Dave Ramsey and his team. So to have like those experts actually there to speak to some, you know, not just some like uh, problems from a high level. I mean, certainly. There's some good budgeting advice and, and 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 different advice for going to college, but the fact that like we could answer people's specific questions to their life, so help helping folks with their finances, their specific problems with finances. Like one one of the uh, one of the things I love about the live podcasts is that we get to have a conversation with the person that's asking the question. Right. So like all these questions that we asked at the beginning of this episode there are some follow-up questions I would love to ask some of these folks right where when we're doing a live podcast we get to ask those follow-up questions yeah and we got to do that specifically with with the finances and I, I just can't wait for those episodes to come out I know it's going to add a ton of value to a lot of people's lives so we were in Louisville we were in Birmingham we were in Nashville and you're right you, know, you and I can echo many of the the advice that we get about money and you mm-hmm. and I have made good decisions with our money after many years of making bad decisions with yeah, our money yeah. we've course corrected but we're not the we're not the voice on money, right? It, these people, Chris Hogan, Anthony O'Neill, Rachel Cruz, Dave Ramsey, they're the voice. And sometimes it's okay just to be the echo instead of us trying to rewrite all of their advice in, in ways that are palatable. No, what we can do is say, hey, here's the source. Here's the voice. And we'll just help echo that. So the, the first episode, uh, the Birmingham one, it was episode 143. It came out uh, last week. We're recording the day it actually came out. If you haven't seen the video for it, like if you just listen to the audio, the audio is great check out the audio. You've got to see the video. Jordan did a phenomenal job with that. And by the way, the video just get, are gonna, is going to get better on future episodes. I think we're, what we'll probably do, um, I, we haven't figured out exactly what the schedule is, but uh, we'll put them out in, in future months. Sometimes we, we save our live events for just for the Patreon feed, and we can talk about that in a second. But um, another thing that we did, and you can find this on our website, go to theminimalists.com slash Ramsey. Um, Right before we left Nashville, we finished up the Simply Southern tour. The folks from Dave Ramsey's team said, hey, you want to come on Dave Ramsey's radio show? And I was like, holy moly. I, <laughs> it was a real Dave come true. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan is, is saying that because we started out this interview. So Dude, I was so... All right, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to take over the story. So okay. I... Yeah, we, 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 got, we got invited to go to Dave Ram, on Dave Ramsey's show. I was so excited 
I was so incredibly excited to be on his show. I was all nervous. And the very first thing that I say when we're on his show, he's like, hey, welcome to the show. I meant to say, it's a dream come true, Dave. But instead, I was like, it's a Dave come true dream. (laughs) But you caught yourself (laughs) mid-sentence. I did. I did. I did. I did. And and so, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Dave Ramsey, he's basically America's voice on on finances. Uh, 14 million listeners in the United States and uh, third largest radio show in the entire country, second most radio stations, over over 650 stations, I think. We went to their compound. They have 740. It's a campus. Yeah, uh, 748 <laughs> employees. Uh, it's not an actual compound, but like- it, No, it's, it's a, it is a campus. It's like yeah. a work college. Yeah, I mean, it's- They yeah. have a coffee shop there. They have a conference center. Uh, they're the ones who do the Every Dollar app. They have like uh, 50 employees that work on that Every Dollar app, which is a free app. Um, and they really are focused hard on helping people with their money problems. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're there. I mean, we are a country that is consumed by debt and excessive spending. And he wants to help people rein that in. In fact, their materials now are in 43% of high schools. I love it. And, and so good. he's trying to shape future generations. He and his team of hundreds of, of people are working really hard. So if you want to check out that interview we did with them, we really just had a conversation with Dave. Um, you can check that out over at theminimalists.com slash Ramsey. Also, check out episode 143. Check out the video version of on our YouTube Was that the, page. Is that the first video? I'm sorry. Is that the... F- yeah, is that the first video that we've released for a live podcast? Uh, for a live podcast, yes. Awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, we did one event back in 2011 or 2012, I think it was. Holiday Happiness Tour oh, in yeah, Seattle. Yeah. You can find that somewhere deep, deep oh, on the internet. Oh, that's right, dude. Yeah. But, one other thing I want to say about Ramsey and his team. It is, it is so nice to go to a corporation mm. and feel good about that corporation. Yeah. Like th- Those guys are just awesome morals. Mm-hmm. Like they, uh, their intentions are good. Yes. Um, yes, they profit because, like any other business, you sh- you know you should profit. But they are not profiting off of people's misery. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe they're profiting from them eliminating their misery. They're solving. They're solving. <clears throat> helping people solve problems. Absolutely. But like, just to be able to um, see a corporation run that way, it just. Uh, yeah, it just it's, it feels really good to have a corporation out there that isn't evil. And you and I got to sit down with Dave uh, individually. Uh, that morning and one of the things i told told him is he wrote a book called entree leadership which is like entrepreneurship but leadership mm-hmm. because he doesn't believe in management he believes in leadership and what i told him is it's really refreshing to see someone who doesn't just write about you know these principles or whatever but actually has it instilled in their business practices mm-hmm. so they run a business that really helps just millions of people and and he has helped so many people not just get out of debt but completely change their family's trajectory and their their the future generations trajectory by getting out of debt and planning for retirement and contributing to the world in a meaningful way. So I'm really grateful we had the opportunity yeah. to be down there with them. Check out the Birmingham event right now. It's episode 143. And I know we'll release the other events uh, somewhere in the future, either to the live or to our, our podcast feed or on our Patreon feed. Speaking of Patreon, um, we just released the Houston event. So we did a Houston charity event last year for the uh, the Hurricane Harvey 
folks. Uh, we, we donated 100% of the profits from that. By the way, it's Simply Southern Tour, 100% of the profits are going to the Gym City Market from that mm-hmm. to help build a grocery store in Dayton, Ohio, one of the largest food deserts in the country is there on the west side. You can contribute to that, by the way, if you would go to theminimalists.com slash Dayton. But on our Patreon feed right now, um, we put out the Houston event and it was the, I, I went back and listened to the beginning of it. It was the day of that tragedy where, mm. um, there was a shooting there not far from Houston. It was in Texas that same day. It was another mass shooting. And we talked about dealing with that and, and the pain and it was in the middle of it. So like we didn't have answers or solutions, but, but trying to help people cope with the pain. And it was, uh, Man, it was a difficult day. It was a somber day for me. I remember that. It was a somber event, but I still felt really good about the event and, and helping people with uh, with that healing. So you can check that out over at theminimalists.com slash support. And uh, YouTube. Man, we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on with YouTube. So the video version of this podcast comes out a day early, so it comes out on Mondays. Uh, we're starting new versions of Living Room Conversations. I think we're going to change the name of Living Room Conversations to uh, really soon. Uh, we're going to put out some... We just did a, a Living Room Conversation with Rachel Cruz. We did one with Anthony O'Neill. We did one with uh, Chris Hogan. We'll put those out. We'll probably do about one of those a week. We're also going to do some quickie podcast episodes. So we're going to do some uh, excerpts from... I know some people are like, hey, your podcast is too long. I don't want to listen for 90 minutes. Okay, we'll go to our YouTube channel. There are going to be excerpts answering individual questions. We'll just tweeze out some bits from our podcast. And you can find that over at youtube.com slash The Minimalist. Also, we're going to do uh, monthly vlogs. We're going to do tour recap vlog. And thanks to Jordan for getting all of that together. Also, some minimalism tips, some house tours, and other YouTube shows. We're going to focus heavily on creating meaningful video and film creations for you because they seem to resonate a lot with folks. I already talked about my health diet and uh, all the carnivore stuff I'm doing. I talked about this briefly, Ryan, but our second documentary, we have one more scene to film and we're filming it this week. Yeah, man. And so, uh, and then we're going to work on all the post-production stuff, the, the score and uh, you know, color grading and all that stuff. And I'm sure we'll go through different edits and a whole editing process, but I'm excited to finally have a first draft version of our next documentary. It's called The Minimalists Less Is Now. We hope to have it out by the end of this year. Stay tuned for more details on that. If you're on our email list on our website, you'll be the first to hear about details about that second, or yeah, about the second documentary, but also about any of the show notes. So you always hear us talk about the show notes to every podcast. If you want to get those show notes in your inbox, anytime we come out with a new podcast, just go to theminimalists.com and enter your email address there at the top. And if you want to leave a comment on this episode, you can leave it on YouTube. Just go ahead on over to youtube.com slash the minimalist. Find this episode and interact with folks who are leaving comments about these episodes. What else you got for us, Ryan? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name is Kaylee. I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota. I just had a quick tip for Ryan, actually, um, regarding the acquaintance podcast. Um, I, too, deleted Facebook. Greatest, single-handedly the greatest social media thing I've ever done. You mentioned that that's how you connected to some people is only on Facebook. The one thing you should know is you can still use Messenger. It's the app or the chat platform for Facebook. So even if you delete your Facebook account, people can still reach you via Messenger. So it's just kind of like its own text platform if you had that to begin with. Like if you DM'd people on Facebook, they can still do that. It would just come through the Messenger app. Hi, Minimalists. This is Beth from Chicago, and I was calling in with a tip. 
This could be for clothing, but also anything else, and I'll explain. So when it comes to clothing, um, my rule is this. If I would rather go in to my hamper and rewear a piece of item that's dirty than get a like item out of the closet, so maybe it's a pair of jeans, then it's time for the jeans in the closet to go. So maybe that means just buying three pairs of my favorite ones and get rid of the rest, and that's good with me. So how that applies to other things, so maybe um, um, items like shampoo, if you get done with a bottle and you go out and buy that same one again rather than using all the other half-used ones in your closet, time to go. And same with maybe a pot or a pan. If that one breaks and you're going to go out and rebuy that same one instead of using ones that you already have that are the similar size, then it's time for those ones to go as well. Hi, this is Molly from Salt Lake City. I'm calling with a tip regarding managing the collecting impulse. One strategy I have used is to make friends with people who share the same hobby or collection and do regular exchanges with them. So you get the thrill of having a new item, but then when the thrill wears off, you just return it to the other owner and you can get another new item when you get it back. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We're especially looking for questions about sex, love, business, jobs, and sleep for five different future episodes. So just say at the beginning of your message that if your question is about that, and we will make sure it moves up to the front of the line. And if y'all live here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it so tear your eyes away Or tear